to the Televerse podcast from Pop Optic TV. P-O-P-O-P-T-I-Q.com. Comedy, reality, drama, genre, and what's in between. Covering anything that's interesting. Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Pop Optics TV podcast. This is Kate Kalzik, a TV editor over at Pop Optic, and I'm joined this week by my fabulous guest co-host, Carrie Reisler from the AV Club. Carrie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's going to be so much fun. We've got a ridiculous amount of TV. Like, I love how it's mostly because there's so many finales, but I love how like the the fall season hasn't started yet and there's a jillion shows this week it's a technical term <laughs> right when there's no and there's no break like we get a week and then yeah. fall tv starts right up yep next week is going to be the fall tv preview uh which i anticipate will be epically long because there's a, a lot of shows uh for those out there you know peek behind the curtain listeners a lot of shows at least the ones that the networks that uh i have screener access to which is not all of them because CBS doesn't care that Pop Optic exists, uh, have, have made one episode available. And so that's great because then we don't have to watch a million things, uh, we, or we can't, but it's terrible because so frequently the pilot is not actually a good indicator, especially for comedies, of what the show's going to be. So either it'll be a super short preview next week or a super long preview. Has that been like affecting your your anticipation of the fall season, like the fact that we can't really get a sense of these shows before we start covering them? I feel like I'm used to only getting one episode. This season, though, there's nothing. I mean, not to talk about what you're going to talk about next week, but I am not excited about anything. For the first time maybe ever, I have zero shows that I'm like, I have to see that show. I cannot wait. Only returning things are exciting to me. Yeah, there's a lot of returning exciting things, uh, for me at least. But the other thing is that at least of the pilots that I've seen so far, and this will change, I'm sure, by tomorrow when I watch the Heroes Reborn pilot. But of the things I've seen, at least, there hasn't been anything that's, like, terrible either. So it's not like we're not getting the mixology level, but we're also not getting the exciting new show that we... There were, there's no Jane the Virgin pilot, which I loved last year, but there's also no horrible Claw My Eyes Out pilots either. So it's a lot of... It's a lot of mediocre, middle-of-the-road stuff. Which makes it very hard to say, watch this show or check this one out and don't check this one out because any of them could get a lot better or really just maintain. So that's a sneak peek at next week. But you're not here to talk about next week. You're here to talk about this week. And you're also here to talk about, at the end of the show, the LA Complex, which I, I know that you said, nobody talks about, but I know at least one friend of the show, David Bax over at Battleship Pretension and Hey Watch This with Paul and David, uh, loves the show and is, will be very glad that we're covering it this week. I think that if people who have seen the show love the show, most people have never heard of the show is the problem. We did cover it over here at the Televerse uh, when it was on the air. We we watched like the first few episodes and talked about it, but uh, it'll be fun to dive in with that at the end of the podcast. But uh, the last section, I should say, um, any other TV news that is escaping my interest right now? Arnold Schwarzenegger is going to host Celebrity Apprentice. Yeah, that is true. Uh, I don't <laughs> I mean, care. <laughs> Do you me care? Me either. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. I didn't watch it with Trump. I'm not going to watch it with Schwarzenegger. Exactly. Yeah. But I, th- I do think that's interesting as like like the way that that you know, intersects of having uh, it's Trump, Trump, the politician right now. Um, I almost got that out. And uh, fr- formerly TV 
I guess, reality TV star. It feels, I feel dirty saying that. Uh, and now we have Schwarzenegger, currently former politician, being TV star. So that's interesting. But Right. I feel like the only reason he's not even, I mean, the only reason he's doing this now is because he can't go any higher because he can't be president. So yeah. he's like, well, I guess I got to do some other stuff now. Yeah. Cool. guess I'll be Donald Trump. Conquering television one uh still to, it's still on the air i don't understand how that show's still on the air but hey some people must love it it clearly has devoted viewers yeah yeah <laughs> that That's was all a, i got that was an appropriately spaced pause so uh, i think uh here the last thing i'll say here up at the top is as listeners may have noticed from my timbre i am sick because it's a fall type time. So once again, uh, here on the Televerse, I have gotten sick, which happens when you're around children a lot. Um, but uh, hopefully I will be able to edit out most of the coughing. And I apologize for, yeah, what may be a less pleasant than usual voice for y'all to listen to. But we're going to have a lot of fun talking about these shows. So let's get right into it. Yeah. And we'll come back with our week in comedy. Sounds good to me. Okay. We'll be right back after this. Please celebrate me home. Comedy. Carrie's going to preview Life in Pieces, which is a new comedy on CBS, and then I'll preview Moonbeam City, which is a new comedy on Comedy Central. Both are premiering this week. Then I'll talk a little bit about Difficult People, and we'll talk a little bit about Feral Takes the Field and Married before diving in a bit more with uh, the Year of the Worst premiere, Sweater People, uh, Review, Buried Alive, Six Star Review, Public Speaking, and then a trio of finales, uh, First Key and Peel, which had Megan and Andre break up and the end, uh, The Carmichael Show, Finale, I just love that these are the titles of these episodes. Prayer and Guns. Yeah, they don't mess around. They don't mess around over there on the Carmichael show. And then we'll round things out with the Playing House finale, Officer of the Year, and Celebrate Me Scones. As you heard, our lovely Diddy coming into this segment, how could it be anything besides Celebrate Me Home uh, from the Playing House finale? But first, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we don't get uh, CBS screeners here at Pop Optic. So, uh, Carrie, what do you... What what can you tell us about Life in Pieces and like what's the basic premise of the show? And I mean, comedy pilots are hard, obviously, but um, what yeah. did you think of this one? Well, this is a show where it's a single camera comedy pilot and it is told from several different perspectives. And the trick and the like hook is at the end, all the perspectives come together and they're all telling one story. It sounds great in ex- in action and it's not poorly done in execution. It's just I didn't like any of the people (laughs) granted it is it is a pilot it could get better but the the timbre of of the comedy is very like frantic 
at times and very especially in this the storyline with poor Colin Hanks and uh what's her name what's his wife's name Zoe Lister Jones very frantic sort of comedy and that's not my thing it's kind of feels like flop sweaty try hard at times and that's just not my oh my come whole on comedy bag. who doesn't love flop sweaty try hard comedy it's like a classic <laughs> well, other subgenre people might watch the same thing and think oh well that's nice and that's funny and that's you know and the whole escalation of everything to coming to the stories coming together at the end they might find that to be good and it could be good in other episodes i just didn't connect to it at all in this pilot and it's a shame because the cast is pretty great i mean betsy brand is in it james brolin is in it um diane weist is in it for god's sake thomas sadowski like great cast it needs some i need some time to settle it i think maybe is a good way to put it okay fair so maybe like check in about like episode six episode eight see if it, they feel more comfortable yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna hold off and like see what people say about it because you know how comedy pilots people like two or four in they'll be like oh okay start tweeting about it oh this got really good this got really good Mm -hmm. and then i'll go back and catch up i think for this one okay fair i don't always do that but well i mean again with that cast i if it turns out to be good i can do some homework and be you know be content with that but uh yeah oof that's unfortunate. I used to be so excited about comedy pilots based on their cast, and that has been burned out of me by the last few years' worth of comedy pilots. Uh, but maybe. Hopefully they figure it out. Um, yeah, it's rough. It's much more about the writing in a pilot than the cast, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, next up is Moonbeam City, which is premiering this week on Comedy Central uh, on Wednesday, I want to say. And I saw an episode of it of this show at com- at uh, Comic-Con this year and talked about it then a little bit. I've seen the, the first two episodes of the season as well. So now I've seen all of three episodes. And this is a cop show that's set in a uh, an 80s kind of milieu. It's animated and it's got like the big hair and the neon and it, it's it's visually fantastic looks really great and uh and it looks very distinct which is something i I very much appreciate um but as uh, my fabulous former co-host simon howell said when i was talking about this at comic-con after comic-con it the most fun thing about it is he said it seemed like the kind of show where the most fun thing about it is actually the names like reading the names of the characters like it's like dazzle i want to say like novak and uh, Rad Cunningham, and like like the names are amazing. They're so deliciously '80s. But his fear was that the actual show itself couldn't be as funny as it seems like it should be by from reading it. And the trouble I have with it is there's some of that because just the premise builds up this idea in your brain that'd be very hard for the show to live up to. Um, the 22 minute version of the show, maybe the 10 minute version of the show, but the 22 minute version of the show is it's a lot trickier and um i yeah so i agree with that element of it the other thing that the other trouble i have with it the voice cast here again is really really strong you've got rob lowe as the lead you've got uh elizabeth banks is his boss and kate mara is the the mousy tech who wants to get more experience on the job and uh and then um will forte is his uh like rival in the police station so the, these are very funny, talented people, but um, the show is so centered around that Rob Lowe character, this of of the 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 renegade cop who doesn't play by the rules and gets all the gets all the chicks. I use that term very specifically. That I'm just not interested in it because I've seen that show so many times that I don't need to see it again. I don't need to see 
the joke being that he's paid to uh i guess they're supposed to be strippers um it's implied they're prostitutes to dance for him for a day and so they don't have names and they or they have names he just doesn't know what they are and that's supposed to be funny and i'm sorry i've seen that joke too many times and some i mentioned if our listeners um are annoyed with my feminist lens they've already stopped listening to the podcast <laughs> like like they listened to one episode went i don't know listen to a second and then just couldn't handle me and my feminism and stopped listening but the trouble i have is that i've seen this this comedy uh, other times just without this specific bent the 80s flair and everything and i don't have a strong enough connection to that visual aesthetic and like the rob Lowe personality that I have time for this show right now when there's so much other TV I haven't seen and haven't caught up with. Um, I'm not going to spend more time on Moonbeam City, despite thinking that it's, you know, it's well animated. There's some funny stuff in there. Not enough to really make me laugh out loud, but um, I'm sure that some people will really like it. Um, it's just, again, I, I feel like I've seen this comedy before in other ways and done done better so if you're an animation fan if you're an 80s fan if you're a miami vice fan and want to see a parody of it tune in so didn't archer kind of just already do a miami vice parody when they had that whole cocaine season yes. or is that not really a miami vice parody because i thought it was it is it is in an ex to an extent right but it's also was its own thing i feel like that limits because like if you just think of it as a miami vice parody then we have the whole Charlene arc. It's easy to want to compare it to, to that, to Archer, but the characters are so much more fleshed out and meaningful on Archer that it just, I, there's no comparison for me. Right. Um, but again, like I said, I'm sure some people will really enjoy the style of it and that'll be enough to carry them through. So what do you, have you heard anything about Moonbeam City? Are you looking forward to it at all? I haven't. I just saw commercial sport for the first time. And the only thing that jumped out to me was the voice cast. And it got me thinking like how I'm kind of over animated shows with celebrity voice casts. I don't know. Because I, I was thinking about B Archer and Bob's Burgers and how H. John, John H. Benjamin, H. John Benjamin, how he is like the star, but people only really know him from doing animated shows. And how all these animated things now cast all these known actors, and I almost sometimes find it distracting until I can get into the show. I find their voices distracting. So that was the only thing that jumped out to me about it, was thinking about it on that framework that actually happened for me uh last year with the first season of bojack horseman i thought i was so distracted by the celebrity voices that i had a, a really hard time actually getting into the show and it was and unfortunately i did not have that problem at all with season two but yeah i know what you mean but let's move on to our our next show which is difficult people premium membership and i just wanted i felt like i couldn't not mention this one uh, because they did that whole thing about podcasting in it and podcasters, which I thought was delightful. I really liked the build of this episode. Um, I, th I thought the capper at the end where they're burning books uh, when the NPR lady comes up to record a podcast about how much they love books uh, was delightful and particularly their reaction to her reaction to them. It was very fun. So I thought it was uh, I thought it was another strong episode of Difficult People and I'm going to miss that show when it is off the air. Uh, but you didn't have you're not watching difficult people. So let's talk about something you have seen at least a little bit of. And that's Feral Takes the Field. Uh, <laughs> would you talk a little bit? Like, what is this about? Well, as as far as I could understand it from the, as much of it as I watched, it is a, it was like a sort of comedy 
slash reality special of Will Ferrell trying to break a record that's been broken three times already of playing in every position on the field with for 10 different teams in one day. And it, but he was doing it for charity, which was nice. Um, and that's what it was. I didn't, I made it 15 minutes in and I bailed because it wasn't very funny and I don't like baseball. So that I didn't have anything holding me in there. Yeah. That, that was, um, they did a, they, they were foolish as far as I'm concerned in how they marketed this because they, they made me think I was watching a comedy and it's yeah. not that it's a documentary basically with a little bit of really predictable humor in it. So if you, if you, if someone told you, what do you think will, what character do you think Will Ferrell will adopt when he's being a guy being traded between baseball teams and let go after one inning each time when he, when that's his shtick, how do you think he's going to behave? That's exactly what he does. Um, so it's not really, it shouldn't have really been about that. And so th- that sort of sets people up to think it's going to be this really funny, because you know, when we were talking before we were started recording, you mentioned the, oh my goodness, uh, Seven Days of Hell? Seven Days of Hell? Yes. Uh, it, so it seemed like it was going to be another one of those, but it's not at all. Um, so Not even a little bit. <laughs> not even the tiniest. But it, I think it is fun. Uh, once I kind of let go of the hopes that I would be laughing, I did ha- enjoy it. Um, and I in. I think the what really makes it the, the crucial element is the, the 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 text that comes up on the screen that says like, oh man, I want to say it was like a million dollars or something was raised for charity by this stunt that Farrell did. I mean, that's, that's amazing, and that it's going to provide because the the charity was one that one of his former roommates runs about uh, uh, cancer cancer for college, so it, giving scholarships to to people who have overcome cancer so they can go to uh, college. Um, and it's just something like, like um, $1 million that was raised for charity through this. And that's going to be scholarships for X number of people. And that sort of puts the whole thing in context and makes you appreciate or value the, the hour you just spent. Cause an hour's way too long, way too long for this. Uh, but that makes you feel like, okay, it's not quite as self-indulgent because being able to do this and to make this uh, on HBO allowed them to do put everything together, and uh, that is certainly worthwhile. Right. I liked the part where they talked about the charity at the beginning. I actually liked that part, and I liked the parts. I sort of liked the parts where he was like talking smack with the baseball players, and the baseball players were sort of in character. Mm-hmm. I kind of enjoyed that, but I would have enjoyed it more if I knew who the players were. If this was a football thing, I probably would have loved it because I know who all the players are. Yeah. But I don't know anything about baseball. So I figure if you if you like baseball and follow baseball, I think you could probably could get some enjoyment out of it for sure. Yeah, and there was, like, he, he made a play once. Oh, it, really? I, yeah. I didn't get that far. <laughs> yeah, that was cool. So, like, you know, and he hit the ball. It went foul, foul so, he, you know, he didn't, he got struck out. But he did hit it, you know. Like, so yeah. When it was actually surprisingly competent, that was probably the most fun part. But um, yeah, no, it was. It, again, it's a good thing that Farrell did, and uh, more more celebrities should use their power for in such ways. I would say um, their their cachet. But um, I, I wanted to mention it. So, anyways, we've mentioned it. Let's move on to Married Guardians, which was a uh, darker episode of the show and as i understand it one of the few you've ever seen right i watched the first probably three of the first season and it definitely did not grab me and i was watching you're the worst at the same time and i went you're the worst and dropped married 
Um, and so I dropped back into this one, and boy, they were not happy. <laughs> no, no. So, so this episode deals with um, Lena and Russ trying to figure out who's going to have the, get their kids if something happens to them. Uh, they are nearly sw- sideswiped. I really liked, by the way, that it was not their fault. It's not like they weren't paying attention. It's just like this this guy blew through a light and couldn't nearly hit them and they could have done like so that's their wake up call that they really need to get their wills together and everything i thought that worked well and then really the whole thing examines the the different friendships in their lives and how they are and 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 their relationships with their children and how they are drifting in one one specific case away from Jess who is the the um Jenny Slate character. And I'm curious how much of that, because she hasn't been as present this season. But what I really liked, and of course you won't pick up on this because you haven't been watching it, uh, so this is something that I could appreciate. Uh, They've really subtly been building to this all season. So I just figured that Jenny Slate hadn't been around as much because she's busy, you know, doing things like making Obvious Child last year. And she's a very busy and in-demand actress, uh, actor. And so um, I figured it was just that and they weren't going to go anywhere with it uh but that's allowed them to do a little bit more with paul reiser and you know i really liked him in this episode too uh but i like the way that they build to that and really and, and really show that friendship theoretically it could be it could be gone she could be gone from the show or they could build it back up and you know i thought it would felt very it actually felt very organic it was very well done um so yeah how did you relate to this did you enjoy this episode was it just kind of weird could do you connect to any of these like discussions they were having um i don't think i didn't enjoy it but i didn't enjoy the show before so i don't think that's i mean this would have had to been super funny or very memorable in some way probably for me to say oh i want to jump back on board but i the one thing that did work for me even though i haven't been watching is the jenny slate's character's story just i always thought it was interesting that she was his best friend because mm-hmm. um, that you just don't see that very often on TV um, and I, I thought it was interesting because she has a kid right yeah but she's like not I don't she's not a typical parent I guess is a good way to put it and I like that aspect of her character and I like that like she would be the obvious person to give the kids to but also the worst person to give the kids to um, and I think that's an interesting that was interesting to me to explore how a couple deals with that situation. Yeah. And I like that their conversation about this topic is what pushes the friendship between Jess and Russ to this place and puts, uh, and then in even, you could say in Jess and Sheb, maybe Paul Reiser's characters, uh, marriage, uh, to a point of confrontation. Uh, I, I like that they take what is, you know, would normally be a wacky sitcom premise and actually examine it. And so I think I, th- I thought that, it, you know, again, I like the show. So that's that helps. I'm connected to the characters. So that helps. But um, certainly, again, I thought it was another very strong episode if you're invested in the show and in the characters. So thank you for watching it, even though it's not really your normal cup of tea. Um, let's move on, though, because you already mentioned it. Let's move on to the premiere of You're the Worst, Sweater People, which came back this week on FXX. It's no longer paired with Married. Uh, and we're both very happy this show's back, yes? Uh, oh, yes. I love this show so much. I talked about this last week a little bit in, in, this, in the preview. Did, we didn't get into spoilers, so we can talk more fully here. But um, I, I, was, I wasn't really concerned about what season two would bring because the first season was so confident. Uh, but it was still nice to see that this is the show hasn't changed 
now that they're uh, Gretchen and Jimmy are living together. How did you think they handled that transition? I thought they did pretty well with that. I mean, they, they kind of did exactly what I thought they would do. But what I like about You're the Worst is they're not afraid to, like, really stick to it. Like, no one came to a big realization in the end and was like, oh, everything is fixed. Like, in the end, they, they stole the, who, the Google, fake Google car. I mean, mm-hmm. I just think that I like their commitment to the fact that these people don't necessarily have to completely change. Um, and, and we can still like them even though they're, you know, the worst. And I like that commitment to them being the worst. I enjoy it. Yeah, and I like that the triumphant, there isn't the triumphant moment of them accepting that it's okay for them to go to bed early and to do the normal sweater people. I love that this show doesn't just do, again, doesn't do the predicted sitcom beat of, well, we're happy now. We're happy being sweater people. Um, Instead, just has them continue on a self-destructive course. Right. And they still have tension because, like, they both want to be that, but they're so deathly afraid to be that that they refuse to be that. So there's still tension, even though, you know, you're not, like, you're not resolving the story. You're not, you're just building the tension in a different way. And I think that's really clever. Yeah. And I also love the way that Jimmy described, like, straight up just describes, there's nothing wrong with sweaty people. They just remind us of death. <laughs> I relate to that comment. I would remind Jimmy of death very much. <laughs> what do you think of uh, Lindsay uh, Lindsay's uh, subplot as well as what we had with uh, Edgar? I really like. What, I don't. I'm I'm on the fence about Edgar, but I really like Lindsay's story this season because she's a mess and she's still a mess, but she just has no idea what to do with herself, and I think that's an interesting thing to play. Because I spent all last season trying to figure out why she married Paul to begin with. And it was obviously just to beat her sister. Like, that's the conclusion I came up with. I couldn't come up with anything else. Um, and so now she, I like her having to live with sort of the consequences of that decision and what it really means. And I, and I thought that her tricking Paul and then <laughs> completely, it, like, completely going toe up on her was interesting. Yeah. so funny. Yeah. I'm hoping we get more for Edgar in the next episode and I'm hoping we'll get more for him over the season. He, he does feel a little underused in these uh, first couple episodes, but what do you think of him having a crush on Lindsay? Because I like the idea of it, but I also hate it a lot. (laughs) I think I need him to know or acknowledge that he knows he's being used so completely by her. Right. And then I'll, then I'll be fine with what they're doing. They're not going to hook them up or anything. It's just I feel bad for Edgar because he's so great and, like, sweet yeah. sometimes. And he's just going to get screwed. Yeah. And, again. That's what we're is, supposed to feel, though. Yeah. So. We're right where they want us. And um, this is a show that does so well at it knows it knows what it is. And the characters are all very self-aware. Um for the most part, I mean, I, Lindsay isn't always, but for the most part, they seem very self-aware. They know what they are <laughs> and they're fine with it, at least for now. Um, and so I just, I need Edgar to be a little bit more self-aware. Yeah, he, he'll he get there. He'll, all of a sudden, he'll do what he did last season in the end and with Jimmy and be like, listen, you can't keep treating me like crap and blah, blah, blah. He'll get there. But my favorite part was Sam giving, giving a get a grip speech because my favorite part of anything is always Sam giving a He's the most together person on that show, and I, I love when he yells at people to be better. Yeah. No, it was a great little cameo for him. I was so glad when he popped up. And uh, uh, spoiler alert, guys, he's not in the second episode. 
Uh, but I'm hoping he'll be back soon. I'm sure he will. Yeah. Next up is review buried alive, six star review, public speaking. And you also <laughs> tuned into this one and haven't seen much. I think of this season you had said, um, I haven't seen any of this season. This was the only one of this season I've seen. Okay. How did it go? How did it go for you? I think I, I mean, that show is really dark, but the last episode I watched was Pancakes, Divorce Pancakes, so mm-hmm. I kind of figured this is just a dark show. <laughs> um, but I really enjoyed the public speaking part, even though I honestly wanted to crawl under my couch and die. <laughs> I like that. Um, now, you won't know this from not having watched last week's episode. Last week, one of his things was William Tell. So he either had to shoot an apple off of his son's head or have his father shoot an apple off of his head, which led to two arrows in his chest and the emergency room. Um, And there was no mention last week of the veto buttons. So I love that they do come back this week where he goes, I'm going to have to going to have to veto six star review. I just I I can't possibly just give something six stars. Uh, It's I like that. It shows that he was completely aware of the veto booth. Last week, when he was urging his father to shoot him in the head, uh, and he's very yeah, committed. He's very committed. He wouldn't even use the veto button this time, so he's very committed. Yes, he's he's yes. I I, I did. Very, I I like the little capper of the buried alive section where the groundskeeper zombies and uh, knocks yes. him out it was delightful. Uh, his workaround for six star review uh, was 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 also pretty fun uh and then the public speaking did work out well i like the way that they've they've built to that that relationship with the jessica st Clair character as well as the i'm assuming it's an actual baseball player um i i thought that that all built very nicely over the season and culminated in that public speaking uh moment that yeah it's, it's again it's a thing you've we've seen in comedies many times where somebody's drunk at a wedding and says stuff that they shouldn't say but i thought they did it well they did, and he manages to ruin, like, every bit of her life in, like, <laughs> like a five-minute segment. So, good job, he's, Forrest. He's very good at that. He's very good at that. Uh, <laughs> next up is the Key and Peele finale. Um, Megan and Andre break up and the end. And, uh, obviously, Key and Peele, in its five seasons, has had a big impact on, on comedy and, and certainly just Comedy Central and uh, helping sort of cement uh just this kind of swath of fantastic sketch comedy over at comedy central with key and peel and with uh uh kroll show and with amy schumer and i don't know if you would call uh the nathan for you show i know that they do sort of like bits sometimes i don't know if that would count as sketch um but just there's there's been a lot of really great comedy going on at Comedy Central, and I feel like the start of Key and Peele was, and success of that show, and the quality programming, uh, the quality episodes and, and content they were putting out was a big part of really relaunching and revitalizing Comedy Central in the past uh, five years. However, I was a little underwhelmed by this finale because it felt very odd to me that the last, like, eight minutes of the show were a sketch that has already been aired on the show that they just replayed and then a clip reel like a a gag reel that was really weird for me was that just me well i this is the first episode i've ever seen so i didn't know 
anything from anything. I don't watch a lot of sketch comedy, so and I don't watch a lot of things on Comedy Central, which you might notice from our um, <laughs> previous discussion here. But um, so this is the first episode I've seen, and I enjoyed the clip show in a it's the finale. Let's throw a clip show in way, and also I could laugh at it without having any context because it's just people doing stupid things. Um, but I didn't realize what's the skit they aired in its entirety that they've already aired before Negro Town. Oh, I really liked that. See, I really enjoyed that. I didn't realize yeah. that that was something they'd aired before, but I loved that. I thought that was great. Oh, it's a fantastic sketch. It's just yeah, to not like just without any comment, without any like thinking. You know, we're thinking back on all of our good. Like it was, it made for me. It felt like, especially because the 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 gag reel like wasn't over the credits or something. It felt like they got they like ran out of budget or ran out of time. We're like, well, crap. We need eight more minutes. Or seven minutes or something. Let's let's just replay one of our best sketches, right? We can just do that. It's our show, uh, which you can they can, and do, it doesn't diminish from their fantastic output, of course. But it was just super weird for me, and I I don't know if I've seen. When did they air it the first time? Um, it was a couple seasons ago. Oh, okay. Maybe they just thought it was the most relevant sketch that they still have because goodness, it certainly was. It certainly packs when I a punch. It. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I'm wrong. It's not that. They released it ahead of the season five premiere. Oh, so the, it wasn't ever actually on the show? It was just released as like a bonus thing? I don't know. Maybe. Wow. Mm. Maybe that's what it is. Okay. And I mentioned this earlier that it was, um, well, then I have to take back everything I just said. Um, well, this is the problem with bonus content because sometimes yeah. it gets you confused, honestly, I find. Yeah, well, because I had this issue with the previous episode because the, they had one of the, the sketch that um, with two of the the popular recurring characters that aired, um, that was released again ahead of the season, and so when it came up on the show, it was very odd to me to see it. I was like waiting for, wait, why have I seen this already? And so that must be what this, what this is. But you know, because the shows, the seasons, it was May and now it's September, <laughs> and so I forgot that it hadn't aired in the previous season. So that's that's on me. Um, well, it's it's a little yeah. weird that they say they released a sketch that was going to be their last sketch ever. Maybe they didn't know that at the time. Yeah, they might they might not have. Uh, but it is certainly it's a power. So again, re- complaint rescinded. It's a powerful way to end the show. It's a very strong statement uh, of how to end the show uh, in that case. And uh, then it, now I love it. So <laughs> go me. <laughs> The internet, it, it broke you and then then fixed you just then. Like, it broke you with the release of it, and then it yeah. fixed you. Yeah. <laughs> yep, pretty much. So, uh, <laughs> did you have any other uh, memorable moments in, in these last two episodes? Like, the Megan and, and Andre sketch was fun. There was some other good stuff in there. And again, now that I understand that it is the first time that is airing with the show, it's a powerful way to end the show. And ending the um, the, the driving sequence thing with a callback to one of their earliest, uh, I want to say that season one, season two, but clearly I don't have my Keen Peel memory completely up to scratch. Um, sketches uh, was a good, was a nice way to kind of tie up that car bit as well. So uh, yeah, Keen Peel, you will be missed. Hopefully they'll be back together soon in film or TV or something. But let's move on to the Carmichael show, which had its finale, Prayer and Guns. And um, is there any word on a renewal yet? Yes, we. Heard, I, that was. I should have mentioned that in TV news. It was renewed for, a, I think, a regular season, so not just six episodes, but maybe a full thirteen at least. That's very exciting. It is. I'm very happy because 
I don't watch any multicams, and so the fact that I like this one and like look forward to it is is exciting to me. I'm looking forward to just the names, the titles of the episodes. Like once <laughs> they have those locked down, I'll be very excited to hear what they are. You can make like a word cloud out of them because they're just like one really like explosive word every week is like the title. <laughs> well, how did you feel about these last two episodes? Did they work for you as a finale or just like two more? They're just like two more. I don't think this is the kind of show that in six episodes could probably do a finale. Maybe if they do a regular season, they could sort of build an arc. But they only had six, so I'm okay with them kind of just presenting each one like with a little bit of character progression in each, but not too much. Um, but I really, I enjoyed them. I really enjoyed the gun one, even though it kind of was a little predictable. Um, I enjoyed that it, of course, someone gets shot with the gun and it gets out of control and then everybody wants a gun. And then I thought that it was, I just like the way that they're not afraid to talk about stuff that I, that like fam, like literally that I would talk about with my family around the table until I get too annoyed and stop talking. Um, <laughs> but I like that they talk about things that, that sound like the way people talk about things. I think another critic pointed out that exact same point, but it's very true. Like, so like in the prayer episode, how they talk about the girlfriends and how she's an atheist or she refuses to pray at the table because she's not sure if she believes. So she doesn't want to say the words if they're not true. And that how that's offensive to the family and how it sparks a big conversation between everyone. Like that is a thing that actually happens all the time. And I like that there's something that presents that in a funny way and also in like a thought provoking way where you could actually watch that and then talk about that with someone in your family, which is the way TV used to be in the good old days when I grew up um, in the in the in the eighties. Um, we would all watch TV and they would have like episodes that were about things and then we would talk about them. And I enjoy that that's sort of making a tiny little comeback on NBC. Well, and yeah, th this is even just a show that engages with religion is incredibly rare. Um, Apparently, that's something that's been a uh, theme in uh, the Jim Gaffigan show on TV Land, which I have not had the chance to check out yet. I know uh, the religion and, and faith, or specifically, is a very big part of Rectify, but it's hard to think of many other shows on TV in this highly, highly Christian country uh, where, like, some ridiculous percentage of the country, the population of of the United States, um, self-identifies as religious and puts, you know, says that religion and faith is important to them. It's very rare to see it be a, a significant part of any character's life on TV. So to have that conversation, let alone, you know, everything else that comes up around it, is, it should be more represented on TV. So yeah, like you said, it's nice to see them having an honest conversation. I'm curious because I remember in one of your past podcasts, you said you are having a problem with the multicam traditionalist of it all. What do you think about that now, having watched more? I think the show's gotten more confident and uh, it, it feels more and more relaxed. So by the by the third or fourth episode, I was I mean, certainly by the fourth episode, which uh, is gender. Uh, I, I was much more comfortable with, with that. And it's also just getting back into the swing of watching this kind of show, which is just not the show changing, but me adapting to it. I'm having much less of an issue with that. And I'm also, I feel like some of the acting's gotten better, gotten better, but I don't know if it's that, or again, I've just gotten, they've gotten more comfortable in this setting, or I've gotten more comfortable watching them. So I'm giving them more leeway. I don't know exactly where that, all lies 
but uh, I'm enjoying the show much more, and I was actively really excited about these last two episodes. That's good. For me, it feels like really like a hug. It feels familiar mm-hmm. to watch a multicam show because I grew up on multicam shows, but I don't watch any now because most of them are not my not very good to me. So to have one that I like enjoy is very exciting. So I'm very yeah. excited about them getting a second season. Yeah, and I did really like that. Well, like you said, Guns was it very predictable, but certain details of it weren't. Like as soon as as soon as the the father's foot got shot, I expected the last act to be in the hospital. Right. That doesn't come up at all. Yeah, they they've already done that this season, I guess. So they They're like, <laughs> had yeah. to do something else. We we tore down that set. Uh, yeah. So I liked the way that that kind of and and of course they don't just have. Uh, Gerard decide that he's going to get rid of the gun. They also have the mom decide she wants the gun so that they're keeping both, you know, they're keeping a balance, I guess, of perspectives. Maybe it would be nice if they were more comfortable taking more distinct stances. But for now, I mean, only six episodes in, I'm more than happy to just have somebody talking about these topics. So I look really look forward to what they do with season two. Let's move on to our last show uh, of the week for comedies, and that is the finale of Playing House, Officer of the Year, and Celebrate Me Scones. So let's start Let's start with Officer of the Year. Um, so how many of the swoons for this oh episode? Because, like, all of them for me. All of okay, the swoons. So, so I'm not a real – I don't really, like, have a ship. I'm a big shipper. Like, I love relationships on shows. I don't really have one on the show, but – Keegan Michael Key in undone bow ties. Okay, now I have to ship it. Like, yeah, <laughs> so good. Can't unship. I ship it. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, the yeah. final scene was really good too. I think it was a little rushed personally, but the final scene was really good. Yeah, well, the the whole the whole thing really worked for me. And again, because they had brought up in Kim Walk Up the thing with Mag- Maggie going like, mm, but weren't you just like about to make out? with Mark and so like the show I thought they did a a decent job of with only eight episodes of introducing that thread partway through the season like wrapping up the the Mark and Tina I'm trying to not call her bird bones Mark and Tina uh (laughs) relationship and marriage and having a little fallout like they knew that they wanted to get to that by the end of the season and they only had eight episodes so the whole thing was rather condensed I would agree but given that they only had eight episodes I thought they did a pretty good job with that um, but yeah, just like, well done. I need my, I need season th- three to happen because I need, I, I need my closure. Obviously. I mean, cliffhanger city at the end of the second episode. I just assumed that my DVR had cut off because it did. It didn't <laughs> go to credits. Too. I was like, no, no streaming. Where is it? Where's the official? I need to see the last scene. And there wasn't one. Yeah. <sighs> But I think it's fitting and appropriate that the last episode, once I got over the the crushing, we're not going to get our resolution episode. I do think it was fitting that if this is the last episode of the series, it should be about Maggie and Emma and not about Emma and Mark. So I am actually glad that they did celebrate Miss Scones. How did this finale work for you? Oh my gosh, I, I thought it was hilarious and I loved, I loved it. And it was just so joyful. That's what I like about the show. It's very joyful. Um, and I enjoyed every bit of the Kenny Loggins puns and mm-hmm. the Kenny Loggins concert and them being so excited about Kenny Loggins. <laughs> it's such a lovely little strange character detail and I think it works really well. What did you think about, uh, uh, well, I was so glad to have Zach Woods back. Uh, Pamela yeah. Adlin was so much fun 
too. I love Zach Woods so much. Don't even get me started. <laughs> He's such a weirdo. He has the best energy ever, and he makes everything better. What did you think about the return of Bocephus and Jandana? Well, obviously, that's wonderful. <laughs> but I love that it totally freaked out Kenny Loggins, because, of course, it would. Because it should. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I also, uh, I mean, the the... the 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 product placement has not been elegant this season. Uh, it's uh, it, it was rather on the nose in this episode. But uh, it, again, what I had to make myself just come to terms with if if this is what it takes for me to get another season of the show, I can deal with it. I can deal yep. with twenty minute episodes or one week eighteen minute episodes and like two minutes worth of ads with with the leads in character straight up doing ads. Um, right. I really would be nice. It would be really nice if I was queen of TV. We, they wouldn't need to do that. They could just have a regular episode of television with enough viewers, enough people appreciating the awesomeness of playing house that they didn't need to do that. But, um, but I'll take it if it gets me a season three. And l- like you said, um, Keegan Michael Key is just such. You said this about Zach Woods, but the energy that Keegan Michael Key brings to the show, I think, is also really He's- specific great yeah and and the people that len parnum parham i should say and uh, jessica st Clair, the people that they bring on the show the energy of those people really works so well and contributes to the feel of this of this show and the specificity of it and i really hope they get another season yeah. i mean not not enough can be said about how well they know what kind of a show they want to make and how well they execute that that's yeah. a that's a skill. <laughs> mm-hmm. That is definitely a skill, and, and even if it's like a very specific thing that they do, they do it so well um, that I hope they get a chance to do it for another season. Absolutely. Well, what wins your week in comedy then? Oh God. Well, I have to go playing house finale, even though you're the worst is my favorite. But playing house finale, I mean, you got to go with the undone bow tie. Yeah, I mean, like, how do you, how do you not? And, and the, the sing-along with Celebrate Me Home, which, oh, of course, yeah. led into the segment, was fabulous. So much fun, Kenny Loggins, and so willing to play along. So very game. Uh, way more interested in him here than when he showed up on Archer, for example. This is the kind of Kenny Loggins cameo. Uh, I, I needed my sitcom life. And, uh, yes, Key and Peele, you'll be very missed. Um, but I, 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 Key and Peele finale felt like closure to me. Playing house, I need more. So uh, that's what that's going to win my week in comedy. Um, now we'll take a quick break, and we'll come back with our week in everything else. In Negro Town, you can walk the street without getting stopped, harassed, or beat. And there's always a cab when you need to get around. And they always stop in Negro Town. Followed when you try to shop. You can't wear your hoodie and not get shot. No white folks to cross the street in fear. No trigger happy cops or scared cashiers. That loan application can't get turned down. You always approved in Negro Town. This is amazing. I know, right? This week in genre, drama, and reality. Uh, we're going to preview The Bastard Executioner for FX, uh, as well as Blind Spot on NBC, and I'll talk briefly about Minority Report. Of course, all three of these are starting in this next week. We do not have screeners for Doctor Who, which is also starting this next week. Um, but hey, guys, it's coming back. More next week on the podcast. 
then Carrie will talk a little bit about the Project Greenlight premiere. I'll mention the Late Show with Stephen Colbert premiere. We'll talk about the finale of So You Think You Can Dance, 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 uh, <laughs> and including the return of a of a much beloved segment by uh, many of our listeners. But more on that later. Then we'll talk a little bit about Stephen Universe, Nightmare Hospital. Carrie will talk about Switched at Birth between Hope and Faith, and we'll talk about Masters of Sex through a Glass Darkly and Fear the Walking Dead. The dog. So first up is the bastard executioner on FX. We had three episodes, the two the two part finale, uh, two part premiere, I should say, pilot, and then the third episode. What did you think of the show? I really disliked it, quite a terrible amount. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to be kind, but I don't know if I should be kind. Oh. I really, I I hated it. Okay. Like, I didn't think I was going to get through the third episode. Actually, the third episode is a little better. Mm-hmm. But at this point, I'm out. And I don't. I think I'd have to hear a lot of good things about it turning around to go back to it. What did you think about it? What I think, well, you know, I thought it was very, uh, my reaction to it was very interesting. Now, keep in mind, as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, I'm under the weather. So I was definitely uh, on a lot of cough meds. So... That may have affected my take on on a few of these shows this week, um, but I was surprised. I expected to hate it more, just because I'm I'm not a Sons of Anarchy person at all. Um, so, from what I was hearing about, like tonally, it being in that vein, I was expecting to ha- be more antagonistic towards it. That only really came up for me when we had the twin sisters, who of course want to sex up our Chamberlain character. Before. And then they kiss each other because I'm like, okay, yeah. sure. And they're totally into it um, <laughs> because that's what most twin sisters are like, you know. Especially in the thir- 14th century or wherever we are. Totes, yeah. No, that that was really, really annoying to me. Um, yeah, that was like so, deal breaker moment. But I, you know, I I expected to to have an issue with the Katie Seagal character, but I was mostly fine with her. I was expecting to. I, d- I really was not a fan of the fridging of the wife. Um, um, that's what made me, it made me honestly annoyed. Not yeah. the fact that they did it, but the way they did it. And yeah. So do you feel like this, this show reminds me of Spartacus, but like a bad version of Spartacus. <laughs> bad. Yeah. <laughs> Cause but... I just marathon Spartacus this summer. I know you love Spartacus, mm-hmm. but the, t- um, the themes of it are very similar. Um, I guess this has more of a mystical element, but Spartacus kind of did too sometimes. And I just yeah. felt like this was playing it straight and Spartacus had the smarts to sort of wink at itself a little bit. This, um, it, it, so much of it feels so familiar. It feels like it's things we've seen many, many times. And if that sounds like a, a, a bit of a refrain from me to our listeners, um, that's because we're in an era of TV where there's so much that if I'm going to set aside time for something, it needs to be doing something exceptional or something I haven't seen before. And if I've seen, if I feel like I've seen this story and I feel like there's not a new take to it, something that is really drawing me in and keeping me there, I'm probably going to focus on other shows that I feel like are telling new stories or telling new perspectives. So this felt very much, yeah, I was very, it felt very familiar the the period drama intrigue and everything um there are a couple exceptions to that i'm very curious about um our our main character adopts a persona he should be found out 
uh, and isn't because otherwise there wouldn't be a show. And why he isn't, I'm intrigued by slightly. And also the the single person in this cast that for me comes on the screen and just elevates everything. And I'm really interested in that character is Matthew Reese as a sort of mysterious figure. Did he like I was instantly lost was he into barely, that character. He was barely in it though, right? Like, barely in it. Barely. Okay. Yeah. But I was like, why isn't the show about that guy? <laughs> well, I had to look it up because I'm like, was that Matthew Reese? And it was. It was. He has hair. Yeah. But hair. talk a little bit more about why you hated it. Because I can well, totally I think, see why. But Well, the first whole, to me, and I watched several seasons of Sons of Anarchy. And I love season two of Sons of Anarchy. I think it's excellent. Um, and that's a world that I hadn't seen before. So that was one reason that I was really interested in it. And then it kind of got bogged down in its own plot machinations. But... For this show, the first, the whole first hour, I was basically watching it like, what am I even watching? Yeah. Why am I watching this? Who are any of these people? And I guess that's a valid way to start a show. Um, but if I'm going to be invested in a show, I want you to at least explain to me what I'm watching. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds very simplistic, but I want to know why I'm watching it. It takes an hour to get to sort of the incident that incites the whole plot. And that to me is not good. If it was an hour of scene setting, like that shows like characters, I think it would be okay. But it's an hour of scene setting that's basically like gore and random things and nothing is connected. It didn't feel connected to me. Well, and also we should, we haven't actually told our listeners uh, what the show is about. It's about (laughs) a guy who is a soldier who has visions that tell him he should put down his sword. And so he puts down his sword and picks up a club. That was an interesting workaround. Um, and uh, becomes a farmer. And then things happen. And he ends up masquerading as an executioner. The the titular bastard executioner. And he's basically on a revenge-ish type of plot. There's of. revenge. There's, like we said, there's some fridging going on. Um, and like you said, it takes like a full hour to get to the instigating incident. And... In that, in, in the course of the two-hour premiere, they spend so much time on a handful of characters who then are not going to be in the show for one reason or another. And I, I'm just very watching this going, why did I spend that time? Because you didn't make me care about them in that time. You didn't make yeah. me care about these characters that are not going to be either significant or at all really meaningful characters on the show. But you gave them so much of my time that if I, you know, if, if they were going to be on the show, then I would be, that would be the starting point and we would build from there. But they're not going to be on the show. So why didn't you spend that real estate on characters that I should be invested in or I should care about? Why did you spend all this time setting a status quo, like a solid hour, set, setting up a status quo that you're going to then abandon entirely? Right. Th- season three is when, I mean, season three, episode three is when you get to what I think the show is actually going to be going yeah. forward. And and then I didn't like it, but I didn't hate it the way I hated sort of episodes one and a half, one and a half of two. Yeah. Um, It's just, I don't know. I don't find the main actor very compelling. That's probably mean, but mm-hmm. I don't find him very compelling. And that would help me probably like it more. I, I also thought a lot of this the mystical stuff was silly, but that's just not my thing. I don't like the mystical stuff on game of Thrones either Mm -hmm. in the books or, well, I like it better in the books, but definitely not in the show. 
So there's also a moment that's presented as a reveal in the pilot that I don't know how. And I mean, I guess I do know, but you have to have not seen very much television at all to be surprised <laughs> by that reveal. What what I would expect I will do in relation to this show is unless I start to hear raves from a wide variety of trusted sources, I will probably not watch more of it. Unless somebody says, oh, there's a wolf, there's a wolf episode or Matthew Reese is really good in this one. And they'll probably just tune in for that because it's right. just fun to hear him talk in his act. I don't know if he's speaking his actual accent. I know that he's from the UK and playing a character in Wales. So I like to think that's his actual accent. I know he doesn't get to use it on the Americans. Um, and he's just really fun. He's more of a Robin Hood kind of figure. Um ish i feel like that's not really accurate he's not a very jolly figure but like i feel like that character could be fun so i might tune in again if he's there uh otherwise i probably am i'm out i'm out <laughs> yeah let's move on to the next uh show that we're going to talk about here with our preview and that's blind spot which is starting at nbc and this is one from this is that show listeners about the the woman in the bag with all the tattoos right so, and everyone knows that because they've been promoting it like crazy yes i was expecting to hate this because Me. literally it's a woman in a bag covered in tattoos. And the most important thing about her is a man's name on her back. Uh, so this should be a show I hate. I was surprised to be I didn't mostly either. intrigued. Okay, not just me. I mean, I don't think it's like, I like shows like this though. Like I like Prison Break. I like conspiracy shows. I like 24. Mm -hmm. Like I don't mind shows like this as long as they make it fun. And... I thought it was kind of, I mean, partially really a slog, and but part of it was kind of really fun. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to keep watching it to see what happens. And I think Jamie Alexander's really good as the lead. She's, uh, I've, I've loved her since Kyle XY. I don't know if you watched Kyle XY. <laughs> um, but she was on that. And she, the thing I connected to most in the pilot was her character and her, like, her struggle with what's going on with her. I thought she did a really good job with that. That could be, that's completely underwritten. It's all her. Yeah. Um, and I thought she did a really good job, like, making that character feel like a person. And I'm also really glad that, like, you, you know, talk, it is it is under, I, I don't know if I'd say it's underwritten, but it's, they, I like that they gave her the room for that, that they just let right. her, they give her space, more space than you expect in a pilot, I would say, and, and really, you know, trusted her with it. Now, is it Philip Winchester or Sullivan Stapleton in this That's one? Sullivan, Sullivan's in this one. Sullivan. Okay. Because yeah. they're both fake sounding names. They both sound like names from a hard boiled detective novel. Right. Um, and they're both in NBC shows and they're both from Strike Back. It's and they're confusing. both from Strike Back. Yeah. So this, this uh, Strike Back alum, I thought did a good job and, uh, you know, really works as the lead here. There are a few moments that I was absolutely groaning at where we were like, oh, God, this is the show saying, we'll be a procedural. Um, yep. that were really, really painful. There was some just horrible dialogue handed out to the supporting cast, especially towards the end of the pilot, where you where they're just ticking off boxes of dialogue. Nobody would actually say that. You could see, I felt like I could see the actors just, like, groan as they said the horrible dialogue. Like, because the rest of the episode of the pilot, I think, really avoids most of that. Um, if, as soon as you accept that, this uh, the Stapleton character is... Uh, brought in on a case that he would never in a million years get brought in on. As soon as her name is on his, his name is on her back, they would say, okay, he might be involved. So we can't right. include him. Uh, and she would never get to go along. Like you have to just never. sort of 
with shows like this, I feel like you have to like roll with it. Because yeah. if you don't roll with it, you're just gonna like be like kicking yourself the whole time. Like then this is so stupid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think on the whole, they avoid most of those issues, and I think I actually ended up having fun. And I also really want to commend the visual style of the Times Square sequence at the beginning, because I thought that actually really, really was very eerie when they clear out Times Square because they think there might be a bomb, and it's just this woman in the bag. Uh, I thought that was actually very effective and a nice little visual flourish I wasn't expecting from the show. Did you have any other elements you wanted to mention, or shall we move on? Oh, it's the executive producer of this was also the executive producer of the L.A. Complex. So we're tying it all together here. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, the <laughs> next show we have here is Minority Report, which you haven't had a chance to see. That's also premiering this, this coming Monday, upcoming Monday on Fox. And uh, this, again, better than I expected. Not great, but better than I was I was expecting. And one of the things that, that, you know, when people tune in next week for the fall preview, there will be a theme with me is uh, on certain shows, particularly on Fox, but there's a lot more diversity in casting, and some of that's going to be because of Empire, and some of it's going to be for other reasons. Like Sleepy Hollow, I think the success of Sleepy Hollow was a bit of a wake-up call to Fox, being like, oh, viewers like it when there aren't just a bunch of white guys on their shows. Um, this is a show uh, where there is an African-American lead um, and a white dude lead, and an Asian-American uh, tech woman and uh, a Latino cop. Uh, so that makes just makes me happy. The fact that there, I mean, it's a pilot. It's it's mediocre. Um, it's better than I expected, but I expected it to kind of be terrible. So you know, take that with a grain of salt. But the fact that they're starting from a point of uh, of not having a bunch of characters who theoretically should have the same background and the same. Uh, cultural experiences and the same uh, perspective on the world is is a promising thing. So when I'm looking at ways that a show could grow, the fact that these do feel like um, it's when you have a, a show where it's about a family, there's there's a there should be a certain common ground. They should all feel similar in a certain way because they grew up together. Uh, so that you have to you know draw your humor from other places. In a workplace kind of show. I'm looking for different types of personalities, different types of backgrounds, different perspectives that can be brought to a situation. So I really appreciate that at least on this new potential, you know, procedural case of the week situation, there are different types of characters that they're drawing from. So that makes me a happy viewer. Um, the lead, the two leads have, have better chemistry than I was expecting, though not great. The tech, it's set in the future. For those who don't know, this is like set years like a 15 years or something after the minority minority report movie might be 10 years something like that um where one of the precogs um is now trying to re-engage with the world because he keeps seeing visions of people who get killed and he wants to try to prevent them and there's this cop who became a cop because of free crime which then got closed down in the end of the film spoiler alert i guess um who <laughs> ends up working with him and will he get found out? You know, what's going to happen? Can they prevent the crimes? Is the, What's the morality of pre-crime? Like, these are the things that they're they're dealing with. So um, it's another cop show with a twist, basically. But uh, better than I expected and could become something really neat or could become very rote. But at least they're starting off with a, with a couple of things and moving in the right direction. Are you interested in this one at all? 
Um, not particularly, but I'll watch an episode or two just to see what it's like. Now, one of the shows that is already started up that I have not seen any of, but apparently, uh, from what I've been hearing, maybe I should tune in, is Project Greenlight, which just came back after a how many year hiatus? Oh, gosh. Um, many. Many? <laughs> ten? Ten years? Uh, it's been a long time. The last movie they did must have been, ten, like, 2006. Okay. How was this premiere? It was great. I love the show. I mean, I don't think that it's basically setting up people to make a terrible movie. But this time they're making a movie that's going to be on HBO, so they don't have the same sort of commercial um, things pitting them down that they did before. So they don't have to make money on this movie. They just have to make a movie. Um, and I just think that the process completely sets up everyone for failure. And while that might not make a great show, it makes a great reality show. It, may, it might not make a good movie, but it makes for a really great mm-hmm. reality show. And I enjoy it very much. So this episode was just reintroducing everything and picking the winner. It's not going to get to the real good stuff until they start making the movie next week. But um, it's they set they basically set the season up for to be exciting by picking a total jerk as the director. I mean, and maybe he's not a jerk. He's difficult. Let's just say. Maybe next week I can call him a jerk. This week I can call him difficult because we don't know him very well. <laughs> so this week was just picking him and the process of, you know, it's Matt Damon and Ben Affleck in a room with a bunch of producers, the Fairley brothers, um, picking these people. And those, I mean, the thing that everyone's talking about today was a moment where there's, Effie Brown is the line producer and she was a line producer on Dear White People. She's an African-American woman. And at some point she says, listen, when we pick this director, we have a problematic, potential problematic female prostitute character. Maybe we should look at picking a director who is going to be sensitive to that and work with us to make sure that the character is represented correctly. And Matt Damon ends up talking over her, um, basically, about how there's this is a talent competition. They have to just pick the best person and that they can do the diversity <laughs> Diversity, and he basically says, I mean, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but he basically says diversity only matters in front of the camera. Oh, that's to, to an African-American female line producer who's produced 17 features. So, yeah. and she's just like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's, and and it's, it's horrible to see, first of all, because Matt Damon, come on, we love you. Yeah. Stop doing, you know, we trusted you, stop. Um, but it's also really fascinating to see a powerful white man in Hollywood say something knowing he's being taken like it's just like that that's what people say behind closed doors yeah and it's a night a person everyone thinks is nice and I think that's important it's horrible that it happened I think it's important that we got to see it and everyone's talking about it well and even more than that that you know that they have final cut on these episodes and so that they he I wonder, said it I mean and that he didn't think it was problematic well I, I don't know if he doesn't think it's problematic I'm sure he knows it's not going to really hurt him. It can't hurt him. It like, can't hurt him. He's hurt Matt Damon. Yeah. I mean, it's not going to hurt him. But I hope that if he allowed if, if he allowed that to be in there, it was for a good purpose and not because he didn't realize it was a bad thing. Because I don't think that. I think he's smarter than that. I'd like to think he's smarter than that, but I would have liked to think he uh, wouldn't mansplain diversity. Right. Maybe uh, he'll learn something from this. I mean, that's why it's kind of great, too. Like, people can learn things from this. So. Mm-hmm. It was just fascinating to watch happen, honestly. Yeah, that, yeah, that's, like, just hearing about that makes me want to watch a separate from your your recommendations. So putting those together, I'm clearly going to have to watch some Project Greenlight uh, 
follow along at least and see what else this season provides because that is a quality uh, TV moment that I do not want to have missed out on. Um, does anything else stand out this, or is that like the... I think the season's all going to be about this director with the very strong personality. Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to following that then. Um, speaking of strong personalities, Late Show with Stephen Colbert kicked off this week, and I just wanted to, to mention it because it seems like that's you know, a big thing in TV this week. And the first episode, not great, I'm going to say. Um, I, the, the There was a bit with, with Clooney that went on too long, and uh, his interview with Jeb Bush was more interesting, but at least for me, not hugely more interesting. I'm not particularly interested in Jeb Bush, uh, but I imagine if you were, it was a nice chat. Uh, the, the My DVR cut off before I got to see Mavis Staples, which stunk, but um, I did hear a lot of buzz about the Biden interview, so I watched the Biden interview from a couple days later, and that was uh, really nice. I mean, it's a 20-minute interview. When's the last time there was a 20-minute interview? That's without commercials on TV. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't watch any, I only, I don't watch late night. I watch clips of late night on YouTube. I am that person. Um, Cause I don't care much about the actual late night format, but I watched the Biden interview, which was honestly like pretty remarkable. And then I watched the Kendrick Lamar performance, which was freaking fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> so if Colbert wants to keep having great guests and letting them do their thing, I think he'll be all right. Yeah. And I like that he seems to be engaging with different types of guests which, I mean, there's so many different options in late night, so providing a network as opposed to cable um, option that is a little different, I think, is a smart move for him. And uh, I also like that he's just letting his nerd fl flag fly. Uh, in, I mean, because he does, like, this whole kind of Cthulhu-y uh, demon lord uh, connection to this amulet that makes him chill for Sabra Hummus, amongst other things. Uh, so I like that he's just, he's a, he's a super nerd. I mean, and, and sometimes that came out on the Colbert Report with like his, his ability to quote, um, Tolkien verbatim and speak Elvish and some other things like that. Um, though I don't know if it's Cinderin or Quenya, uh, maybe one of our listeners can tell me, but, uh, he, yeah, I, I, I like seeing that part of his personality get a little freer reign on, on uh, Late Show. And it, again, it gives him more distinct uh, personality. It makes him stand out from the other options. And I think that's a good call for him. Uh, hopefully he will get more substantive conversations like the Biden one moving forward. So, But we'll have to kind of wait and see what happens with that. I will say that seeing that, uh, do you know what photo, what a magazine that photo shoot was for where it was all the late night show hosts together. Vanity Fair. Vanity yeah. Fair, I think. Oh God, that's another moment of like, they seem like they're really impressed with themselves for doing that. But all it does is just make me chafe as a caller. Yeah. Cause it's a bunch of similarly aged white dudes. Um, plus uh, Trevor Noah and Larry Wilmore. And yeah. just guys, you're not, you're just, you're making our point for us. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty rough to see it all laid out in one picture like that, yeah. which I hope was subversively the point, but I don't know. Well, and when you you can tell that Colbert is like trying to make himself stand out by wearing a plaid suit instead of a brown, a gray or blue suit, you know. <laughs> oh God, guys. Anyways, uh, let's move on to so you think you can dance, which had I've seen the performance finale, you've seen the performance and results finale. Uh, yes. I've already been spoiled. I know who won. I guess we won't men. I mean, we'll mention that here. So if you don't know who won, then 
fast forward, but by the time you're listening to this, you should already probably have been spoiled by Twitter. Um, so I wanted to know a couple things. Okay. First, before we do anything else, we have to have what well, I think the most important thing for me with this performance finale. Um, it's It's been overdue, according to some of our listeners. It's time to bring it back. It's time for another... Spotlight of Shame. This Spotlight of Shame is specifically... It's not for So You Think You Can Dance per se. It is for Nigel. Nigel Lithgow. Um, because as I tweeted out... To paraphrase, as I tweeted out when this was airing, fuck you, Nigel Lithgow. Uh, men can dance together. You can have two men dancing together and have it be incredibly powerful and vulnerable and meaningful. You just won't fucking let them do that on your show. So why don't you stop being so retrograde in your sexual politics and and, and uh, heteronormativity and maybe open your eyes and see why you haven't had any, uh, any, any particularly touching or meaningful... Uh, male, uh, d dual male performances on your show since, like, the two that you've let Travis choreograph. The one that immediately comes to mind is, of course, the one, I think it was with Robert yes. uh, a couple of seasons ago. That was just amazing. Um, and there apparently is another one that from before I started watching the show. But I yes. was well, very angry watching that last week. Last week was ridiculous. When he said that two men can't be emotional and dance like that to each other, I was like, that's a, the most ridiculous thing he's maybe ever said. The only reason he thinks two men can't be emotional when they look at each other is because he can't look at them and see it. It's not that they can't be like that. It's that if they're doing it, he can't see it because his brain is like warped in some odd, yeah. strange way. So this week, let me tell you this week, you haven't seen it yet, but there is a double a male, male dance that we've never seen before choreographed by Travis, but it's not a romantic dance. It's a father son. It's like a father son theme. Mm hmm. So it's still not romantic, but if there was a surprise, in quotes, <laughs> to male, it's, it's, and it is a beautiful, honestly, you're going to love it. It's a beautiful dance, but it's not romantic. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's I, I was so angry. I was so I was angry at him. Because I was just like, okay, I was like, well, clearly it's time for the spotlight of shame. Um, and in 12 seasons of the show, and correct me if I'm wrong, Carrie, I believe not once has the character's sexuality been mentioned if it isn't that they are straight? Well, let me tell you what else happened tonight. You missed out by missing this. So Travis yeah. won an Emmy yesterday. Uh -huh. And they bring him on the stage, you know, to congratulate him. And Kat asks him what it was like. And Travis mentioned his boyfriend, which I was like, Yay! that was live television. <laughs> Nigel couldn't veto it. So yep. Travis got to mention his boyfriend. Literally the first time I think that a, a sexuality has been like, I mean, he just says it like it's normal because it is. Because it is. And exactly. But like, it's the first time an opposite sex partner has been acknowledged on the show, which is insane. It's a dancing show. It's insane. Yeah. Well, the, the other thing, because Nigel, maybe the reason you don't feel like two men can be vulnerable in a dance together um, is because anytime any, any male dancer isn't heteronormative enough for you, you criticize him for being weak. Right, they're and not that's, strong enough. They're not just strong enough, which is bullshit. And just say what you mean. You seemed gay to me, so therefore, it's like like when they're telling when they were saying a couple of weeks back that Jim wasn't strong enough in his ass. I'm like, are you? Did you see those lists? Do you see that right. musculature? That's bullshit. Don't say he's not strong enough. You mean he's not being heteronormative enough for you? It's, oh, it's absurd. Okay, so with that out of the way, and 
props to Cat, by the way, for attempting to like call him out a little, get him to backpedal. Um, I thought it was actually a really fantastic performance finale. Uh, I thought the dances on the whole were. I was like, where have these dances been? Both the performances, but also like really the, the performances from the dancers. I thought were like much better than they had been. But also just the chore- choreography. Uh, there were a number of really stunning routines. Right. I thought the the one the dances everyone did with the their all star was mm-hmm. were especially strong in the final. I really liked the one with the one that prompted this conversation with Nigel, uh, with Gabby and Haley. I thought was was really good. The 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 tap. Routine, so glad to have Zach back. I love tap, um, but it, for me, on So You Think You Can Dance, they do it wrong most of the time because they don't let, you know, when, when Nigel said, it was almost like your taps were creating the music and not vice the other way around. I was like, that's what tap is. That's what it's <laughs> always supposed to be. That's why when you watch old, classic, amazing tap routines, the ones that people remember, the ones that people that sticks out in people's memory, the scores are always really spare because right. they have to leave space for the taps. If you're just repeating the bass line or the rhythm line, you're doing it wrong. Um, so I really like that routine. Uh, yeah. Boned for me to pick with, with their use of tap on So You Think You Can Dance. Um, but I also really liked the, the hip-hop uh, one with Virgil and Joshua. I love that yes. they let somebody besides Twitch do a hip-hop routine. Yeah, and Joshua's really fun. He always has been, so he's great to watch. I was underwhelmed by Yaya's routine, though, with, with, with Cyrus. I, I feel like Cyrus is great, but I didn't feel like he had the all-star energy that that, that needed. No, I don't, I'm not a Cyrus fan. I didn't like him in his season all that much. I was just not a huge fan of his. I think that, like, Yaya is, dy- is way more dynamic than he is, and she sort of, he sort of swallowed her up a little bit mm-hmm. energy-wise. Well, and the routine, the turn happens so early in the routine that the rest of the routine is one note. And right. so you're just watching the thing happen. And then when, when they're breaking glass things just to break glass things, uh, yeah, I, I thought that was very, I was, I was underwhelmed by Christopher Scott, I must say. Um, I usually love his like animation routines too. Well, at least in step up movies, I think he does a great job with those yeah. type of routines, but usually they're blended in with something, someone else. Now, what order would you have ranked people just based on the performance finale? Oh, uh, well, I can't do that. My brain doesn't work that way. Fair enough. Okay, so how? I'm sorry. Well, that's fair enough. What was your preferred ranking then, and did it turn out that way? Of like of like of of one through four, just in general of over the season, because that's yeah. the only way I can do it because my brain yeah. can't separate things because I have a horrible memory. Um, I'd say Gabby one, Yaya two, Haley three, Virgil four. Okay, I would go uh, Gabby one, Haley two, then through the season I probably would have said Yaya, but. On the finale, it seems like she had an off night to me. Like, it seemed like she was under the weather or she got somehow she got nerves, which doesn't make sense for her. Um, but she seemed like she had an off night. So I actually for that episode, for that dance, that performance, I would have put Virgil three and her four. Um, and I'm a big Yaya fan, but she seemed for me, she seemed like she was uh, outmatched outside of her genre i thought her dance the week before with the, with alzheimer's was actually really great and was more memorable for me than pretty much anything she did in the finale i'm a yeah i'm like a yeah yes stan i love her so okay. um i can't I, I just i think she's really versatile and maybe that didn't come through in the performance finale as much but gabby's my favorite i think she yeah. became my favorite throughout the season i went in yaya my favorite and i came out with gabby my favorite i think she's just remarkable and i want her to be in a million movies 
<laughs> want her to be in the next Step Up movie as the lead, basically. <laughs> Do you have any uh, final thoughts about the season? Any uh, favorite moments or you know, highlights, um, lights? I was really dreading Strange vs. Street, and I kind of dreaded I hated it at the beginning, but I ended up thinking it didn't really matter too much. And I, I like that it allowed more women, like it didn't have to be, I don't know, I feel like usually there's not two women at the end standing there as the top two. And you get to pick one. Usually it's like a male-female. I don't know if that was a format thing before. But I liked that it allowed just the best dancers. And the end was three women and one man. I thought that was great. Yeah, not having to send a woman home every week really, yes. I think, was was good. Uh, however, Jim needed to be in that finale. Well, he's a, he's an incredible dancer. But, I mean, like they say, it's America's favorite dancer. And I don't know if he's, like, he's easy to connect to as a person, maybe. Mm. I mean, it, it's, it really is, like, if you look at some of the dancers that have won, it was a personality thing more than, like, there were more technically gifted dancers. Yeah. I just, I feel like I can't help but feel like I was robbed of a ballet, <gasps> like, final routine with, like, with Keon yeah. or something. Like, how yeah, that amazing would that have been? Incredible. There is, I will say that the Travis number that you're going to see in the finale finale is, um, it's not a ballet number, but it's Jim and Alex, and they're awesome. Yeah. One of my favorite routines of the past several years of the show was that contemporary ballet that that Travis did, I want to say, was it last year? Uh, I thought it was just absolutely gorgeous with the backlighting. I thought it was absolutely gorgeous. So yes. I was really, I was very much hoping for more from Jim. Um, the, the other moment I'll mention is that I did not mention on the podcast when it happened, but I feel like I should have. One of my favorite cat moments on the show ever, the the week that the Twitter Twitter did not save Asif, uh, as she signed off, I don't know if you caught this or remembered this, but as she signed off that week, uh, she said, thank you all for tuning in. You have wonderful taste. Good night. <laughs> As she's like hugging the other person who was eliminated and distancing herself from Asif. Um, so she hated him. She never hates anyone. Yeah. She, well, just, he was so clear. He needed to not be there. And like yes. when he was interrupting, he was like trying to take the mic from her on the stage and, and telling choreographers, how about I just don't do it? Like, yeah, that's not Cat's bag. One of the most embarrassing things they have done is not only put him on the show in the first place, and I blame Paula for that, but also, well, I should also blame Nigel, uh, but also le allowing him to be on that show for more than one week and through the like way that they manipulate the votes with their comments and not and sending Burham home before Asif. Are you kidding me? Yeah, Burham got screwed. Yeah. So that's where I, so we've gone long. I saw you the good but I felt like I had to mention that. Um, thank you. Carrie, for allowing me to talk about it with you. Um, I love it. <laughs> next up is Steven Universe Nightmare Hospital. Now, this is the only episode of the show you've ever seen. Ever. I love this show now. I've seen I've been watching it for like a month and I've seen all of it. <laughs> so uh, what did you think of it? Were you able to sit? I thought translate? it was so okay. I, I don't uh, know. I'm not a huge, I will say I'm not a huge animated person. I watch Archer. I watch Bob's Burgers. But I've literally like seen five episodes of The Simpsons ever. I'm just not a huge into animation, so it's hard for me to get into stuff like this. And I'm not sure. Like I thought it was fine, mm. but I'm not sure it made me want to go back and watch all of the episodes. Yeah, it's very it's a standalone thing for the most part. There there is some connection uh, to Connie and her parents, their relationship, and uh, and that you know they've been building her a little bit. It's it's mostly with the character stuff. It's pretty st standalone. Um, but no, I thought this was a fun episode. I'm so glad to have Steven Universe back. But it, it, of course, they they had a really monumental end uh, of the season with the way that the arcs kind of came together, and uh, some some big stuff happened towards the end of of, of the la or not the last season, but when they went on hiatus. 
And so it makes sense that they kind of ease us in with this one. I thought I liked the action that we get. Uh, I thought that, um, you know, we're seeing Steven grow with his abilities and then he pulls out the shield, he pulls out the bubble in a way that uh, that is he's very fluid with it now, whereas just not that long ago, he couldn't even muster a shield when he was under attack. So I like the way that they're just kind of showing him growing and Connie as well. I think the mom uh, is surprisingly clear-headed when her, her daughter pulls out a giant sword and, does, and kicks the ass. Um, and I look forward to where that is going to go next. I was hoping we were going to get Stevani, which won't mean anything to you, Carrie, but I, I probably would have weirded out the mom too much. Uh, so uh, instead, uh, th th this worked. Um, and I look forward to talking about it more next week. But let's move swiftly on to switch to birth between hope and faith. And I blame my illness. I forgot to watch this. And I'm so sorry. But I'm passing over the bully pulpit to you because more people need to know about the show. And I should be covering it, but I'm not. So tell us about Switch at Birth. So Switch at Birth, if you've never seen it, is a show about two people that were switched at birth, which sounds really silly and it kind of is. But they make it kind of poignant because one of the girls had a hearing loss at a certain point so she is completely deaf but she can talk she's vocal and she signs so it's about families dealing with the switch but also dealing with and also one family is latina and from sort of a lower class and one family is white rich upper class so it's got a lot of built-in layers to it that didn't have to be there at all which i think is really makes it work so it gives it the hook with the switch but then it gives it the heart with everything else so it's been on for several years this is like season five maybe um i apologize for not knowing that off the top of my head i used to review it weekly for the av club and so they're at the point where the girls are in college everyone knows about the switch everyone's you know down with everything they're in college and they're doing a storyline right now and they always do sort of con they they're really good at doing controversial storylines but doing them in a way that feels honest so at this point the brother gets his girlfriend pregnant and they find out that he's about 20 they find out that the baby has down syndrome and so they have to decide what to do so they've been doing this story for the past since the season premiered about what do you do when you find out your unborn child has a disability and so everyone has an opinion and they all talk about it and it's just it's fascinating because that is literally a story i've never seen on television I don't know if you've seen a story like that. Um, no, usually it's something like Jane the Virgin uh, this last year, which had a just a beautiful episode uh, or p part of an episode, one of the storylines of because of, it's Jane the Virgin, so there's a million things happening. But one of the stories was um, finding out that the, the, the baby had um, an increased chance and for for a birth defect or for down syndrome and should they do a test that could be invasive could hurt the baby to find out even though that wouldn't change any of their decisions so should they do that and Gina Rodriguez just killed me yes I, I remember that all of the tears right so but but then of course everything turns out okay because that's usually what happens on these on these shows right and so in this case everything is not you know okay so it's basically like should we terminate the pregnancy or should we have this baby? And they end up at a place where they're going to have the baby. But the, the road that, and I kind of knew that was where they were going to end up. But the road they take to get there is very raw. And I enjoy that. 
they talked about abortion. They talk about like da- the the daughter who is the sister, excuse me, who is deaf talks about disability. Different doesn't mean bad. Like disability doesn't mean a bad life. It just means a different life. And so she has that perspective. And then the other sister who is hearing and not, she wants him to terminate the pregnancy because she says it's going to ruin his life. And it's just, it just lets people be honest, even if it's maybe not the proper thing to do. Well, because Switch at Birth has been on my radar um, for a while, but specifically very much on my radar. Uh, it was more on my radar when I found out about the, the signing and like they did that episode that was all all signed and with um, subtitles. And, and, but then specifically this past April at Sound on Sight, we uh, were planning to do a, a week, a theme for a week about uh, sexual assault awareness and when I now it switched at birth, right? That had the discussion yes. of, of date rape. Um, and so they're handling it just from the, the trailer I saw for that, the episode that had, you know, they had one of their main characters be date raped. Right. By a person that we knew was like yeah. someone who, yeah. So it was very complicated and I'm not yeah. sure if they resolved it perfectly, but they're still sort of dealing with the, the aftermath of, of that. And just That's... seeing the trailer was like, this is clearly a show that I should be aware of and I should be familiar. I should be like at least checking in on it because the fact that they're hand, they're discussing these topics. And from what I, the, what I saw in the trailer, at least in that like 30 seconds, handling them with such maturity, this is clearly a show that deserves more, uh, more eyes and to be discussed more. So I still, I was not, I forgot to watch it this week while I was all hopped up on cold meds. I will attempt to rectify that uh, soon. But the, so this was a particularly moving episode or is it just very, very consistently at this level? It's well, I'd say it has its ups and downs, depending on what story it's telling. It can be either because it's a little soapy. It has mm-hmm. a little bit of, of melodrama in it. Um, but I enjoy that. But sometimes it, it, it teeters a little bit too far into not great storylines. Um, but when it does a storyline like this, I think it pretty consistently hits it out of the park. Great. Good. I'm glad to hear that. And uh, yeah, oof, that sounds like... Is it a too hanky episode? Sounds like a too hanky episode. Yeah, well, yes. The character, the the son character, Toby, is like my favorite character. And he never gets a good storyline. So mm-hmm. I was I was quite emotional. Fair enough. <laughs> Let's move on to the next show, which is Master of Sex uh, through a glass darkly. You talked about um, Soapy at times. Um, how are you feeling about this season of Masters of Sex? And uh, what, what, how, did you, how did you feel about this episode, which finally saw certain long overdue developments come to a head? I thought this episode, I don't know. I watched like four episodes in a row because I was catching up. Um, so they kind of all bleed together. I'm, I'm really struggling with this season. I mm-hmm. think it's all over the place. I don't think like I tweeted the other day, what is this season even about? Like, I don't know what this, like what the season's about. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's something that message of sex has struggled with in the past. Um, but they're doing, they're doing interesting things. Like they're just time jumping all over the place. They're like doing all these different stories and that could be great, but it mostly leaving me confused. I think. Yeah. Yeah, I kept waiting to see what that uh, evangelist or um, whatever he is in the lobby was going to lead. I was just kept waiting for it to lead to a violent in- altercation. So I guess I'm glad that uh, the Emily Kinney 
character. Like, it means that they're doing something other than that. But I'm also really uh, disappointed to have the Emily Kinney character tied in with what is such, at least for me, such an uninteresting yeah. storyline. I sort of groaned, um, honestly, honestly groaned a little bit when that happened. Yeah. I was like, oh, no, not that. So, yeah. like, they're helping the one character, recurring character, but I really find it way less interesting you know, if she's genuinely interested in their work, that's way more interesting to me. Yeah. Um, uh, this episode particularly highlights Josh Charles as the uh, period unicorn. <laughs> he's <laughs> he's her unicorn. He's her like perfect for for Virginia. The fact that he's married is less of an issue than it would be for anyone else. Um, but he's just like perfect in every other way, which. Again, Josh Charles is amazing. Love Josh Charles. I need it. It would be nice if he felt more like a person and less like a wealthy person who can just like show up and keep throwing presents at her and really understanding her and being amazing about everything except the fact that he's married, which is not an issue for anyone when it's it's not interesting. Should be. Yeah. Like. It's great. She's married and also sleeping with, like, it, yeah. like it's not like it's that interesting. Yeah. Know. Yeah. It would be nice if they let Josh, he can do so much more. He can, he's a great, if you want to, you, if we want your, like, uh, unicorn boyfriend character, Josh Charles is going to knock that out of the park. It would be nice if they gave him more to do. Yeah. I, I enjoy every second he's on the screen because I mm-hmm. greatly enjoy Josh Charles. I just don't, I don't, I don't know. He's just, he's there as a, like he's his his purpose is so obvious. Like yeah. He's there to keep Bill and Virginia apart. Cause it's yeah. not like we haven't Googled and we don't know what happens with Bill and Virginia. So which yeah. is fine as long which has been fine the first two seasons. I was rolling along with it because it was interesting, and now I'm struggling with it because I find it less interesting. So what is going on with Libby? Can they just get divorced already? Cause like I actually like Libby, but they but the show does not know what to do with her, like even a little bit. <laughs> no, that should be such an interesting character, and and they they've given she's I think she I think uh, Caitlin Fitzgerald has done a solid job with what they've given her, but the show just doesn't know what to give her. Like when they give have her randomly remember uh, the her boyfriend from last season after yes. not mentioning him, like she sold the crap out of that. Right, she um, should, it shouldn't have worked. And also that, I would say the one thing in that episode that, like, I think it was this past episode that really worked was her little talk with Bill when they're drinking. Was that this yeah. past episode or two episodes ago? That was great. Like, that felt to me like the show. And then there's all this other stuff going on that doesn't make any sense. It's very plotty. But that little moment was really important and it felt really great. And then they just sort of moved on to other things. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Well, and, and like, you start... Lost building all this really great stuff with with uh, uh, Bill and his son and then drop it and like there should be so much like I just need I just need uh, them to get their divorces already because it really feels very very stretched out at this point like we've seen Libby have the no I can't no I can't conversation but we aren't seeing anything any other external force besides just herself in her life pressuring her to stay with Bill and they've done a good job of showing them being distanced. I thought their conversation about like, Oh, I thought you would genuinely want to have this vacation by yourself rather than with me. I thought that was a nice scene. Yeah. We've, we've, they've put in all their legwork. I don't know why they're very comfortable 
to jump them so far in the future that the 32 or 33-ish year old Caitlin Fitzgerald is supposed to, maybe she's 34, is supposed to be 40, um, which didn't work for me. Um, but they're not comfortable just having them fast forward to their presumably amicable divorce. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess the season's still going, so I have to have faith they're going somewhere, but I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's been muddled this season. Yeah. As I've said previously, remember when this was like one of the most interesting shows on TV? Yes. It, it's been a long time since <laughs> that was the case. Uh, well, let's move on. We talked about you know, Emily Kinney has been one of the more interesting, at least for me, parts of uh, Master Sex. So I'm going to use that to transition us to Fear the Walking because, of course, she was on The Walking Dead. Now we have Fear the Walking Dead, episode three, The Dog. Um, how did this episode work for you? Well, I don't like this show. So let's just put that out there. Um, I don't love zombies, but I continue to watch The Walking Dead. But I am very having a hard time with the show because I think I just want... I like the idea of a disaster, watching a disaster unfold in a large city, but I think my my brain is so used to watching it in a two-hour movie that I, I can't adjust to watching it in slow motion. Like, And part of that is I don't like any of these characters at all. I mean, even mm-hmm. Kim Dickens is the only watchable thing for me, actually. But, like, every time anyone does anything, I feel like they're very stupid, <laughs> especially her boyfriend. Um, and I can't – every time anyone does anything, I'm, like, yelling at my television. Yeah, Cliff Curtis is doing his best to sell Travis's, like – but if there's even a ch- – but the trouble is, by writing the character in that way, the writers are selling him out. Yeah. So, tre- like, tremendously – because the audience all knows all know that he's wrong. Right. I think that is a big problem. Like, ending yeah. the pilot on what is going on was maddening to me, which it's a very legitimate reaction for a character in that show to have. What is going on? The problem is every single person in your audience knows what is going on. So I yeah. don't see how that can be the crux of your show. Well, and normally he he's right. Yes. He is absolutely right. But... We all know he's wrong because we've seen the future. <laughs> we've right. seen it's, their it's future. Like, they're writing it like it's a, a new story, but it's not a new story, and I think that's a problem. <laughs> yeah, and like, and, and they're having some fun with that with yeah. the Salazar family, and like that that comment that the good ones are the first ones to go. Yep, I like that. Uh, that's great, and the the, the yeah. So there, there's some stuff that they're doing there, and I actually. I am totally fine with the kids. I'm not I'm not looking forward to what they seem to be building towards of withdrawal, drunky kid. Um uh junkie kid, I should say. Um and uh that's I I was very glad when they resolved they were gonna wean him off in this way and they'd done it before and it should be you know and then when they seem it seems to re be reintroducing that storyline here. This episode, I was very underwhelmed. But on the whole, I, I am liking most of these characters. I feel like most of the conversations that they're having um, are really effective, or they should be. Like they make sense, and like they they like they're well considered. And the actors, I think, are mostly doing uh, their best. But again, like I feel bad for Cliff Curtis. Because you have to look, I mean, I don't know how you look at that side, those sides of the, you know, that script and just don't, don't just go, ah, oh, come on. You're like, what are you doing to me? idiot. Yeah. I, yeah. I think one thing that the, I, I mentioned, I, I watched The Walking Dead. I don't love it, but I've been watching it the whole time. Because The Walking Dead does this really smart thing 
where they keep changing things. Like, everything's the yeah. same, but they keep, like, changing the location and changing the scenarios a little bit. And that keeps me interested. I find that to be an interesting way to tell a television show. Like, Weeds did that, and I really liked it, how Weeds kept changing their mm. um, background. So, and then, so the end of this episode, the National Guard shows up or whatever, and now I'm interested again because they changed it just a little bit. And I have a feeling I'm going to watch every episode of this show that I don't like because they're going to keep doing what Walking Dead does and they're going to keep like switching things up just a little bit, making me go, okay, well, I want to see how that works and I want to see how that works. And that's actually a really smart way to do a television show. I mean, yeah. it's gotten me to watch how many seasons of The Walking Dead, six. <laughs> so I think, <laughs> I think that's pretty impressive that they know that they're good at structuring their story in that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. So... Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think I'm having a more positive reaction to it than you are, but um, but I I absolutely agree about some of the way that they're writing these characters and um, like if there's someone eating your dog in your living room, you don't try to reason with them. Like no baseline life rule. I just think yeah. That, like, <laughs> Hashtag life rule. Yeah. Don't yeah. reason with that guy. Yeah, yeah. I don't care if it's your neighbor. Would your neighbor <laughs> eat your dog? No. <laughs> Okay, and maybe we should care a little bit more that the dog has been gone. Right. You know? Like, oh, it's the dog. You haven't mentioned the dog all episode, and the apocalypse is happening. Yeah. They obviously do not care about that dog. Yeah. Yep, yep. Uh, anyway, so what wins your week in genre, drama, and reality? Oh, it's gosh. the bastard executioner, isn't it? I know. Oh, God. <laughs> I, do I have to pick one? I can't even think of what the best... What wins yours? Because I need help. Um, well, for me, uh, I, I think I would go with the, so you think you can add performance finale, except for that thing with Nigel, yeah. uh, cause I did really enjoy it. I watched, uh, I watched it and then I watched it again with my sister later, uh, cause it's like sort of our thing and it was a strong performance finale. I would say that or Project Greenlight. I mean, Switch to Birth was great, but Project Greenlight was fun and exciting because it's new. Fair enough. Now we're going to take a break and we'll be right back to talk about the LA complex. I just moved in, so we're neighbors. Welcome to the Lux. There's a party here tonight. I propose we get obnoxiously drunk and wash this day away. That sounds amazing. You need to come home, Abby. I'm just starting to get some traction. The city is all about momentum. We just need to know if you can sing. Oh my god, I am so sorry. There's an old saying in show business, when there's vomit on the piano, it's time to stop the audition. Connor's pilot just got picked up, so he's leaving us common folk and moving into a big new mansion. Send these three tracks to Drake's people. And when you're done, make sure you get me that cheeseburger, no cheese. Man, I saw you set at the Laugh Factory last night. Oh, yeah? It, it was an off night, and uh, there was a problem with the mic, so it didn't work as funny as... Thanks. No, I'm not auditioning for the mom role. I'm reading for Cindy. This Usher tour was the best audition I've ever done, and I haven't heard a thing. It was only yesterday. I was hoping I would hurt by now. We all should have heard by now. This week on the DVD shelf, uh, we're still here with Carrie Reisler from the AV Club, and we're going to talk about a show that uh, I know some of our listeners enjoy. I know most of our listeners, at least the ones that I've talked to, maybe not, didn't follow up with, and that's the LA Complex, which is a Canadian series that also aired um, last couple years? 2012. 2012. Uh, on the CW over the summer. Had two seasons, the first season six episodes, second season is 13 episodes. And as I've already mentioned earlier in the podcast, I was under the weather for like a solid half of this week. So I did not get to as much of this as I would have liked. However, what I definitely noticed, um, that first of all, this series, it's about a group of, uh, of aspiring artists 
of different uh, stripes in LA in a in, in a, a apartment complex, um, trying to make their dreams uh, come true. And uh, first of all, this is the series st starring all those people you've seen in those other things. If you watch any shows from Canada, yeah. you've seen people that are in the show because Canada has hundred actors that they just rotate. Yes, and the other big thing. Um, that the thing that was new for me watching more of the show because I had seen the beginning of the first season like the first like three episodes probably I didn't realize it was only a six season episode season a six episode season or else I would have just watched the whole season the first season when it aired um but I so I went back and, and started from the beginning again and then had to start jumping and I got to season two I went from the season two premiere to season two episode seven and went well crap clearly I needed to watch more of season two because <laughs> season two is sounds like that's much more my jam. Uh, things get crazy and amazing. It sounds like for, I've seen a handful of episodes from season uh, season two. And it is it just me? Is there a shift? Does it get better in season two? I actually think the first season six episodes is kind of like a perfect okay. season arc of television. Season two is really good, but there's a pair of characters that I really dislike. So it makes, and they spend a lot of time on them. So that sort of makes it not as balanced to me because I liked every storyline in season one. Okay. I don't like every storyline in season two. Well, let's start then with season one. And uh, shall, shall, let's start with what what makes this show, I mean, because there's certain elements that are very familiar uh, there's a lot of tropes at play here um, and, and sort of familiar characters, but uh, and it's also a very soapy kind of show. What makes the L.A. Complex stand out for you? What makes this such a perfect arc of television for you? Well, this is this show came about in the time when the CW was sort of transitioning, I think, from what it used to be to what it is now. And it came at the tail end of when it was doing all of these sort of young adult soapy dramas and those, that's my favorite genre i mean mm -hmm. dawson's creek is my favorite show i like that kind of a show and this and 90210 like i grew up on 90210 melrose place and this is very like if you took melrose place and made them actors all of them actors this is basically what this show is what i like about this show is is its idiosyncrasies that are combined with its familiarity so it's a it's a very familiar setup um, a bunch of people want to be actors. They're a bunch of kids and they all like interact with each other and they have relationships with each other. And then they also go out and have these adventures in Hollywood. And it's, it's unabashedly Canadian. <laughs> every actor, every, every person who lives in this complex is from Canada. I don't know how they all find it. There might be like a maple leaf bat signal in the sky above the deluxe <laughs> motel, but like, I don't know how they find it, but they all end up there and it's just like, accepted that everyone's Canadian except for this one Australian guy and that's totally normal. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, Sabrina, and I find that delightful. Sabrina's from LA. She is. But, but, she, doesn't li but she doesn't live at the complex. Yeah. Well, and but it's great because then they don't have to worry about like Canadian accents and everything just because they're like, oh, I'm from Halifax. I'm from like Toronto. Like, Everybody's from a different, you know. Right. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. And, and like, but the, what's interesting to me is it, it is, it is actually a highly perceptive look at what Hollywood stories are actually like. Like they do a story about a woman in a late night writer's room. Sabrina is that mm -hmm. woman and how difficult that is for her and what she has to do to even compete. Um, and they do a story about, um, they do sort of like a prototype for unreal where one of the characters goes to celebrity rehab and she basically like 
has a ruthless producer, but she ends up producing herself as the ruthless person. I don't know. It's very savvy and it's very cynical, but it also has a sense of humor about what these characters are going through. And I think that it's just smart about like, there's been a million soaps and most of them are terrible. And this takes characters and immediately sort of makes you invested in them, even though they don't even all intersect very often, but it immediately invests you in their arc in that first six episodes and sort of plays out a whole arc for each person in those six episodes. Like if it was a normal 25 episode season, 22 episode season, that would be like the first arc for their characters and they move on to something else. But since it's only six, they can just kind of tell it and be like, there's a season. There you go. <laughs> now and I- it works. I would say for me, the thing, if I had to pick one element that turned me off of the show uh, when I was initially watching it, that made me stop watching or, or made me dismiss it when I shouldn't have. Um, I got to say it's <laughs> it's the Nick Wagner character. Because, oh, my God. He's so obnoxious at the beginning. Right. Well, and because he's so clearly like hunkier Jay yes. Baruchel, like we'll put glasses on him and have him stand a little stooped and he's like no this the hot chick doesn't even see him i mean like it's so it's something you've seen so many times it's just so frustrating uh, i don't that doesn't bother me as much because he's such a fucking i'm sorry I'm he's, go such for a, it. he's such a, a doofus like an idiot in all aspects of his life that i feel like the fact that he's pretty good looking with like doesn't even factor in like mm-hmm. he can't tell a joke doing stand-up comedy to save his life yeah he can't like interact with women at all because he's such a, he's so like neurotic and in his head mm-hmm. so i think that that sort of takes the fact that he's really attractive and makes it a little more bearable well because well, for me it's just like you couldn't this is this is your socially awkward character this is a person that like people don't pay attention this is the wannabe stand-up comedian uh who makes himself stand out through his wit and his intelligence and his sense of humor and you again you just you 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 cw cat and again maybe it was because it was on the cw cw cast him with like no we we needed still a really gorgeous person in every single role everybody must be gorgeous and so we'll just put glasses on him and that it'll be his clark kent disguise but one of the but what that character does give give us is what i think is the single best element of the show which is paul f tompkins as paul, paul f. Tompkins, tompkins as asshole paul f tompkins it's it's, it's delightful. Phenomenal. Oh, it's God. Phenomenal. So good. I was hoping to also get more of uh, Marilyn Rice Club, uh, but I'll, I'll take Paul F. Tompkins, uh, who, who pops up, at least in the episodes I saw, he was in most of them. Um, it may, I may just have been fortunate with my sampling. Is he, is he a consistent figure throughout the second season? No. He's only in, like, three episodes in the second season. It mostly takes place in the right... Like, it, this is in a world where Paul F. Tompkins has his own late-night talk show, <laughs> which i not, want to live in that world right exactly not exactly realistic but um and there's also a will arnett sketch show in this uh world too which is kind of great um but yeah so he's he just pops in and out but the most of the season is about the writers the actual writer's room which as like a look in what a writer's room is actually like is pretty good <laughs> like it's pretty it's pretty it's pretty spot on yeah and well, he's he, but it like delightful absolutely one of my favorite things about the show um the other favorite thing about the show for me if i again an arc um because jewel state i love jewel state 
but I feel like a lot of the stuff they were giving her early on was stuff I had already seen before. I loved seeing her in Celebrity Rehab, and it doesn't hurt that they brought on Aaron Abrams, of course, who I didn't realize was one of the writers of the show. Um, he's in season, he's in arc in season one. Too. Oh, okay. So I must have missed that. Okay. Um, but a big fan of his since Slings and Arrows. So it was super fun to see to see him pop up, but also specifically to see her in rehab and, and knowing that this does predate Unreal and it feels so tied to that. Isn't it? I because I, I hadn't watched this since Unreal aired and I had forgotten what that arc was like. And I watched it and I was so struck by the similarities between her and Rachel from Unreal. It was very interesting to me <laughs> this like we, we talk about unreal as this total skewering of of reality television and it kind of i mean this is a smaller arc but it's kind of very similar <laughs> so yeah. thing that was done three years ago yeah what we, i yeah I, I wanted to so connect with um the Tariq storyline and, and the way that they build to that I, it was really affecting actually i thought it was really great um i was a little dis i mean i really actually like that they continue on with with Caldrick, uh mm-hmm. King. Uh, but I kind of, if I had to pick one, I kind of would have rather seen what happened with Tariq next. Though I understand why well, think, the other character was more interesting for them to follow over the second season. Yeah, if you think about, Tariq kind of doesn't, I mean, he doesn't really have an arc. If Like, he doesn't have anywhere to go. After if, I was thinking about this because someone else said they missed Tariq in the second season, and I didn't really. Because, um, like, Keldrick King's arc is still has so much, so far to go. Mm-hmm. And Shrek's arc is kind of like once, I mean, he's already, he's already out. He doesn't have an arc with his sexuality. His arc with Keldrick King is, is over. They can't bring that back um, once that event happens. And so they kind of really, I mean, what would he have done? You could have done anything like, with him. I don't, I don't recover, know. I'm like, okay with it. How does he stay, like, if he, he has this really strong connection to, to his boyfriend who hit him to the point where he... Does he, they, he makes up with him and then gets beat. <laughs> and so like having him struggle with that and seeing how he, how he moves on from that, or if he falls into like the, the, oh, he'll change dynamic or like, or instead, you know, I think it is I don't good. I think it was that story. Like it wasn't, the story isn't that Calder King is an abusive boyfriend. The story is that Calder King is so closeted and so afraid of himself or what would happen that he beats his boyfriend up. Like, I think, yeah. and I think that's different. That's it not, is. I mean, that's it different. Is, it is different, but I still think that that puts the same pressures on Tariq. It puts the, posi- the position it puts him in. Yes, that's di- it's very different for Caldrick, but for Tariq, this is a guy who he trusted who beat him up. Right. So do you see, have you seen his, his like return? And I think it's in the season finale. Yeah. So he's out where Tariq, they go and he apologizes and Tariq's like happy. And maybe yeah. I just like it because Tariq is just happy in yeah. Montreal and like, but, and has a boyfriend and isn't with. Yeah. And, it's, and, be, <laughs> and because so many people are like, I'm leaving for reals. It's like such a recurring thing on the show. It is good that somebody does actually leave. And yeah. is happy doing something else. I think I think that's great. But I still think that is that it, like you say that is an important distinction. But I still think the position it puts the loved one in how like what we you know what the, the kind of accepted thing is if someone hits you, they'll hit you again. So how does how does he handle the situation? How does he and how I think it would be really challenging for the show to separate it from an abusive relationship. But I would have liked to see them 
try to establish that and make sure like if, if if there would be a way for them to tell that story that didn't seem like it was supporting in some way abusive relationships like how do you tell that story but maybe they just wash their hands and, and what they did do was very interesting i guess i just i just like Tariq. Well, i like Tariq too yeah. i I, th- I actually thought one of the interesting things was that they cycled people in and out mm-hmm. unfortunately that meant characters i like leaving like alicia and Tariq. And then characters I did not like at all coming, like Beth and Simon. Um, but that, cause, like my big problem with season two is I don't like Beth and Simon. I don't think they're interesting. I think that story is just boring from tip to tail. <laughs> so every time they're on the screen, I'm like, oh my gosh, can we get to someone else's story? But other than that, I think season two is great. So Yeah. I also really like Alicia, of course. Play- I'm going to say her name wrong. Kellen? Chellen? Simons? Who people will know as Gretchen Speck. From from both Wonderfalls and Hannibal, um, it was so nice for me to see, actually get her to see, to see her play a character, a fleshed out character over like that whole first season. Um, really enjoyed, you know, and one of the darker, I guess, sort of ends of that story. Watching her in the season one finale, just kind of sit with her phone and decide what she's gonna do. Um, I think was really she, the actress and the the script there does a really good job with that and. Uh, Again, it makes sense that we don't see her in the second season, uh, but I definitely miss that character. Yeah. Did you have other favorite characters or other particular arcs well, that stood out to you? Well, Connor's my favorite, just because <laughs> poor Connor just wants someone to love him. Um, and I like, I liked, I think his season, his arc, and I love his arc in season two because it's insane. Mm-hmm. But I think that his arc in season one is actually really great and interesting because, like, here's this guy who is super successful, but almost by it almost happened like by accident immediately and he can't deal with it at all. Yeah. And that's a much more interesting story than a super successful actor who's out there, you know, having a great time banging lots of chicks and blah, 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 blah. Like him being the way he is, is way more interesting than the way a lot of shows probably would have played that exact same character. Well, And when he should get his SmackDown wake up call, it doesn't happen. No. Like, Oh no, this is great. You be you, you do you. (laughs) As he's spiraling he, out of control. He basically, in the end, he's kind of okay, though, so good yeah. for him. But, yeah, I mean, everything that ha- every time something new happens to him, you're just like, oh, how's this going to go wrong? And <laughs> But they do it in a different way every time. And I find that to be, it's it's impressive to me, even though it's, it's only 19 episodes. Obviously, if the show went on, it could have gone absolutely off the rails. But it's impressive to me that they can build, like, a ton of things happen to these people. <laughs> like, um... Um, I'm blanking on her name, but the one that Cassie Steele plays, Abby, sorry. Yeah. Abby starts off like in a total wreck and immediately starts getting all these, basically all these crazy things happen to her. Like in, in the first episode, she has to take the morning after pill and throws up on a piano in an audition. Like the, that's basically <laughs> the template for Abby throughout the whole series. And yet she keeps getting like that happens to her. And then she gets in a threesome on a seventh heaven type show. And Can we just she... talk for a moment about Brett Deer? <laughs> so wonderful. So delightful. Yes. Michael on, on, uh, uh, on Jane the Virgin. I love that Jane the Virgin is not the first insane show that he was on because yeah. his arc as like, that was another of my favorite. Like that's one of the things I checked in for episode seven of season two is like, are you kidding me? I should have been watching this. I, I, I need to go back in time and take fewer cold meds so I can watch more of whatever insanity is going on on Saving Grace. I mean, Saving Grace with Alan Thicke as the as the uh, <laughs> executive producer who gives them morality clauses and rules with an iron fist. Like it's just 
they are the writers are really good at coming up with these like insane things that turn out to be insanely clever and sort of twisted in a funny way. I loved Abby's like frantic search for something on Alan. It's like, no, you've got to have something. <laughs> and and like, just like the look of, of Brett Deer and Megan Hutchings as Brandon and Laura, what you could tell they're like, no, we've looked. He yeah. really is this clean. Right. <laughs> it's just great. Yeah. It's good. It's good stuff. I think um, that whole arc is really funny and it could have been really stupid. <laughs> oh yeah. It should have been. But again, the, the handling of the comedic and dramatic in in all of that works so well. And also, just it's nice to see a show have like we were talking about the progressivism of something like Transparent or some of the other shows. Uh, you know, like just there was a lot of really delightful queering of characters on TV this summer. Just like on Halt and Catch Fire, let's have Lee Pace make out with a guy. Not a big deal. Not we're not right. going to make a big deal out of it. Things like that. Uh, the summer have been really great, but I also love that a few years back, three years back, you have a character who's just like in a three-way relationship and it's not a big deal until yep. it is. <laughs> until she, yeah. Well, I think that the, what like people could go back and like writers go back and who want to write these kind of shows, go back and look at the show is like, if you think about the first episode in the cold open, they introduce like all of these people, like they do it in a cheesy way with their names on this on the screen, but literally in the first five minutes of the show, you kind of understand who all of the main characters are, and what the tone of the show is going to be. And I don't, I when I rewatched it a few days ago, I just couldn't believe how clear it was. I mean, I remembered it being good, but I didn't remember it being so clear. Yeah, and I don't, and I think that shows like this really struggle to establish characters and to make character and plot. Um balance in their first season and i think the show did it amazingly well and well, i'm I, super bummed that it didn't get more than two seasons i really like the way that the second season ends the finale except for i mean because we know it doesn't there aren't more seasons i <laughs> would just cut out the thing where with the shooting at the end yeah that was just crazy right <laughs> yeah well well just because the, the the shots leading up to that the way that they, we cut to each character and we kind of push in on them as they are thinking about what's going to come next I thought just that I really liked the way that was directed and put together. And so then to have a cliffhanger that's not going to be resolved uh, is, you know, uh, oh, well, this is what happens when you don't know if you're getting picked up for the next season. And also, it's a cliffhanger of characters you don't really care about. Yeah, exactly. It's like all the characters you do care about, you check in with all of them. Maybe a couple you don't since you don't like you're you're, you're not really invested in uh, the sibling uh, <laughs> situation. But um, but no, I mean, I thought, you know, and the, other, and then we end with this other plot thing. So it's like character, 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 plot. It's um, sort of what, what Unreal did the season finale, which annoyed me. Because it was like character, 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 awesome ending, weird, plotty, tack-on thing at the end that was terrible. Yeah, pretty much. Don't do that, Jones. <laughs> but I will say, and I'm curious what you think of this, um, as much as I love seeing so many of these familiar faces get other <laughs> roles. Also, shout out to Leo from Man Seeking Woman as uh the the guy who manages the motel um i was like wait i know that I ah man seeking woman it's the ex beyonce yes and everything um but there are definitely parts of this show that for me really struggle with i'm sorry show i'm sorry all of y'all some of the acting's not good enough for me oh i watch shows like this all the time so i'm so i'm so immune to bad acting that it's like i don't care there's just some over earnestness and, and I don't, some combination of acting, writing, direction, editing, where I, you know, 
I just had to really make sure I honed in on the performances and the characters that really did work for me. Um, and that is a lot of them. But there's certain corners of the show where when we would cut back, it would be fine until the tone shifted and then it was somewhere where it wasn't as confident from the performer. And then they would move back into a different, like either from drama to comedy or comedy to drama. And it, I would be back with it. But that was an, an element that unfortunately remained a bit of an issue for me throughout the, the whole run. I like never had that problem. I think well, I'm just I'm used to that type of a show. I yeah. don't know. Maybe shows and <laughs> certain shows in the CW don't have as strong of actors. And I definitely push through that sometimes. And I think that was the main thing with my Simon and Beth thing. I don't enjoy those, that actor very much. Um, so I don't connect to the character as much. Sometimes you cannot enjoy an actor and get and the writing can be so good that you can push through that. But usually if you don't, if I don't enjoy an actor, I don't enjoy the character so much. Fair enough. Um, but, but yeah, like, like you said, uh, I did end up having a lot of fun with so many of these performers and so many of like, just again, the crazy things that happen to some of them and the way the show embraces the silliness of that. Cause some of this seems ridiculous and over the top, but some of it also does feel like, you know what? I bet stuff like that does like <laughs> Hollywood is such an insane business that I bet some of this stuff does actually happen. And I actually did appreciate that there's plenty of darkness in certain areas of the show in the second season, but I, I did kind of appreciate that the end of the first season feels kind of un, like it's really dark for several characters for Tariq and uh, with Alicia and you know, the choice that the position she is put in and the choice that she makes is I think I like that the show doesn't judge her for it. It doesn't, but it allows her to judge herself and struggle with that um, while not judging her, at least the episodes I saw. And um, and so I, but but again, it seems like everybody is left in such a darker place. I like that there's a, it's a bit lighter in season two, I guess. Well, at least she gets the usher tour. That's why she leaves. She does get the usher tour, but yeah, yeah. I think that her character is great because at every point she thinks she's doomed. So she makes a choice. And every time she makes the choice, she wasn't actually doomed. So it's mm-hmm. like she retroactively succeeds but has to do but does all these horrible things cuz she thinks she isn't going to re- isn't going to succeed and I think that's just freaking great. <laughs> well, and and I like that that could be the case with the call she gets for the usher tour. Could be that they just took that long to get back to her or it could be that a guy made a call after yeah. after the fact. And and Yes, obviously it's a great gig, and, and she only she that's not the kind of gig you get if you don't have the chops. So she absolutely deserves it, but you can also just see that she it's going to be hard for her to be happy with it, and that's why I like that we do see her at the yeah. start, and she seems like she's in a much better place at the start of the second season. Um, but the way that that that, that you, we leave her um, just sort of contemplative in the pool, um, it it was you know. And again, it feels that's feels absolutely true to the characters and feels very fitting. But I did like that we get a little we get they get to have a little more f- fun with the wacky ridiculousness of some of this in season two. <laughs> they do. <laughs> do you have any final thoughts on uh, the L.A. complex? I would say if you want to watch it, it's on Netflix. There's only 19 episodes total. It is an easy, fun little marathon. If you like this type of a show. You should def- you should watch it for sure because it's definitely a much better example than most any other type of show like this that was on the CW. Yeah, 
absolutely tune in for the things it was doing three years ahead of everybody else <laughs> yeah well thank you carrie so much for coming on the podcast this week uh where can our listeners find you and your work online um i can find me on the av club and i am always 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 on twitter at tv and dinners <laughs> excellent follow on, on Twitter. I, I must say, uh, even like you mentioned your Spartacus, uh, rewatch this. I was just like stalking you on Twitter when you were, when you were tweeting about Spartacus. I'm like, have you, what episode are you up to now? <laughs> you know, you know, tweet about it. Cause be, I want to know what you think. Uh, good times. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun to watch. I enjoyed it. So that was a good recommendation. <laughs> well, uh, listeners can find me over at Pop Optic as well as at, at the AV Club. And you can find me on Twitter at the Televerse where I'm tweeting about all of the things. I tend to lurk more now. I should get back to tweeting, but uh, please reach out to me there. You can also email the Televerse at gmail.com. You can find uh, the podcast up on iTunes where you have an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. And you can, of course, find the podcast every week at Pop Optic. We would love if you would leave a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. If you're an, a fan of the LA Complex, let us know what you thought of these different characters and who you really connected with. And, uh, of course, we're also on Facebook. You can like us there um, to follow the goings on at Pop Optic TV, and um, that I think that, that that wraps it up. We've gone super long. Thank you, uh, Carrie, for so for so much of your time, and uh, thank you everyone for listening. I'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse. Mm-hmm.